everybody. Thanks again for joining me for another edition of March 4th with Mike Bauman. I hope everybody's doing well out there. I hope that your summer, all things considered, is going well. I know it's a strange one to say the least, but please stay safe. Please wear a mask when you're in public. I know in a lot of places they're mandating it now, but hopefully you're just doing it anyway just to be safe and protect yourself and your loved ones and, and other people you don't know, you know, who might be at higher risk. Uh, again, don't want to sound like a broken record with all of the the coronavirus stuff, but uh, but please be good to each other, love each other, take care of each other. Let's unite. Let's let's lift each other up, not not uh, you know tear each other down. Life is hard enough, man, and uh, there's certainly been a lot of weird stuff going on. But hopefully, this is a place you can come and enjoy yourself and listen to a goofball like me get behind the mic. Which apparently, every time I record, I just uh, I have a scratch or an itch <laughs> in my throat of some kind that requires me to do this. <clears throat> yep. Yep, we gonna leave that in. That's gonna stay in because I don't feel like getting it out. And uh, this is real life, real life, kids. Sometimes you get on the mic and uh, you gotta cough a little bit. You gotta get a sip of water. So uh, I'm gonna reach over and uh, unscrew my bottle cap. Ah, it's some good H2O, high quality H2O. But nonetheless, I hope everybody's doing well, all things considered, and. Uh, you know, life is starting to get some semblance of normalcy. We've got some sports coming back. Knock on wood. I'm going to knock on my, my wooden chair in my dining room here as I have pictures of the GOAT, Michael Jordan, and my other favorite basketball player of all time, Ben Wallace, a.k.a. Fear to Fro, staring at, staring at me. Um, where was I going? Oh, yeah, that's right. Basketball is uh, is is back with the NBA and the the Orlando bubble. So even though my beloved Pistons are not part of that, unfortunately, hopefully we will get a, a, a top three lottery pick and we'll get some some luck in the lottery this year and land ourselves a, a top young prospect and hopefully hopefully get Blake Griffin back to the playoffs, you know, in, uh, in this uh, stretch of his career. Um, he had a great season, season before last, a career year, really. Um, but yeah, you know, basketball's back, baseball's back. We've got hockey coming back. So, you know, there's some, for sports fans like myself out there, there is, uh, there's some light that's, uh, that's coming at the end of, uh, the tunnel, at least briefly. So let's hope that, uh, let's hope that that continues and baseball fans, obviously baseball's back at the time of recording this. So, so yeah, man, uh, you know, just be good to each other, stay active, take care of yourselves. You know, I know it's tough indoors when you're used to going to the gym and stuff, but there's a lot of stuff you can do at home, too. There's a lot of just body weight exercises and stuff. Uh, and trust me, man, I, I'm not off the wagon, but I'm not, like, ripped. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, 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 I'm kind of fair to Midland right now, but I've noticed, speaking of Midland, my, uh, my midsection is uh, carrying a little bit more weight than when I was a, a young pup, you know? It's so crazy, man. When you're young, dudes, you think you have, like, all the time in the world. You know what I mean? And and just, like, you know, you can eat whatever you want. I've always been able to, to, to kind of eat just whatever I want. Not that I ate unhealthy. I do like healthy food. You know what I mean? Like, but, but I do love me some ice cream. And let me tell you, kids, Mikey has been uh, enjoying some ice cream. That's the only time. <laughs> You will hear me uh, refer to myself in the third person at any point in this podcast, I promise you. I'm not an egomaniac, but I've enjoyed myself 
some ice cream. That is one uh, that is one thing that is is very hard for me to just to just quit on. You know what I mean? So, but uh, but any hoosers, I don't want to rant too much because on this podcast we have a guest that if you've been listening to the show, you've heard before. He is none other than my friend and former colleague Mick Gonzalez. Excuse me. Again, a little tickle in the throat, a little water. Uh, <laughs> man, might I might uh, edit that? No, I'm gonna keep keep it in. It's okay. But Mick is back on the show uh, again. A, a guy that I used to work with at Toledo Sports Network back home, back in the day. It's crazy to think that we're coming up on ten years since I uh, started in broadcasting. Thanks to that man extending his hand and uh, giving me an opportunity to to really uh, come out of my shell and uh, do stuff more than, than uh, just writing, which is what I had done exclusively to that point. And one of the things, is, as you'll hear in this show, that he and I bonded over was heavy music. And if you're a metalhead, whenever you meet somebody who's into metal, it's just it's awesome. And the, 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 the cool thing is, is that Mick is a guy that is almost encyclopedic, as you'll hear, on this podcast about his knowledge of, of old school metal, uh, what I would say old school metal, because I was born in 88 and he graduated from high school in 82. We actually have the same alma mater, Toledo Central Catholic, shout out. But uh, but yeah, so I just wanted to have a kind of a, you know, a lighter episode. The, you know, the, the first one, we, we talked a lot about, um, you know, how, how we got involved in broadcasting and stuff. And we talked about his cancer battle, which he's still battling, but again, knock on wood, uh, he's, he's, he's doing a little bit better as, as you'll hear. So I just thought it would be cool in the midst of everything that's going on to have, uh, an episode where, you know, we just talk about music and we talk about our love for metal music and, uh, keep things on sort of the lighter side. So if you're a heavy music fan, you'll enjoy this episode. And even if you're not, you know, maybe, maybe there'll be some bands in here that, uh, that, uh, you'll, you'll end up checking out as a result of, of hearing Mick and I talk about them and you'll want to listen to their music. So without further ado, I'm going to shut my big yapper and give you guys my conversation with Mick Gonzalez. Here it is. I definitely appreciate you taking some time this week, dude. It's it's good to catch up with you. Obviously, the the last time I had John the show, um, we got into you know your cancer battle and, and being honored by the Cherokee, which you now have the the Cherokee Rewind podcast up and running. I see you're using you're using Podbean, so um, congrats on getting the podcast up and going, my friend. Um, and and for this one, I uh, I thought it would be cool. For people who don't know, Mick and I, you know, used to work together at Toledo Sports Network. Obviously, if you're listening to this, you probably know that. But if you if you didn't know that, we used to work together in Toledo doing high school games. And uh, I I sat in a lot with Mick on his radio show, The Happy Hour, back in the day. And one of the things that we bonded over was our shared love of metal. And I thought it was it was kind of cool because anytime you meet a fellow like metalhead, it's always like, oh, you're my people. You know what I mean? Exactly. And and but we also come from different different areas of of that just because of our age, you know what I mean. So I thought, you know, with this with this podcast and uh, you know everything going on right now, it'd be kind of fun to just do just do more of a fun episode uh, with some people in my life that uh, share that same love of music. And and you know the last one was a lot of fun, but I thought it would be cool to get into that a little bit with you because. 
that was one thing that uh, again we 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 bonded over in our time together when we worked together. So mm-hmm. I guess my first question in my little rant, as usual, like I'm always always do, it seems like, what was the first thing that got you into metal music? I mean, was it was it somebody in your life? Because I gotta imagine, and and I I could be wrong, but I would assume kind of like me, it wasn't your parents and the music they mm-hmm. were listening to. No, it wasn't my well. Yes and no. No, not for metal, but uh, for the for music, yes, because they were very except. except of course, when, when you have a last name like Gonzalez, you're going to be ex- exposed to plenty of various cultural exposures, like musically speaking. Uh, I grew up on a radio station out of Detroit. Uh, back then, it was known as WMZK, and it was. Uh, I think it started before I was born as a beautiful music station. And then it turned into a variety station where they had Mexican music. They had the polka hour, the German hour and things like that. And my mom and dad had that station on religiously. And so we always listened to all kinds of different types of music. Uh, And so that really, uh, shaped me as far as appreciating a wide variety of music but the band and the music that actually got me really into the harder stuff was kiss that was one of the first i mean one of the first albums i bought was it was a kiss album and i just i fell in love with the whole theatrics the whole you know the hard rock and stuff like that but then I always liked riffs. You know, I liked a good catchy riff and that's where it kind of went from there. I, I, as I went on through school, everybody else back now, remember I'm a little, I'm a lot older than you, but, uh, back when I was a kid in grade school, going into high school, uh, disco was the music of choice. And I was just, I, I tried to like disco, but I just wasn't into it. I could not really get into it. So I got into different things, different bands. Uh, Ted Nugent was a big influence. Uh, some of the old stuff, the early Motorhead stuff, uh, Thin Lizzy, um, things like that were all bands. And most people don't associate Thin Lizzy with metal. But if you heard their Thunder and Lightning album, I think you would probably have a little bit of a different take on that. Now, all these different bands and stuff, uh, you know, like I say, I listen to a v- wide variety of music. In addition to the metal stuff, uh, you know, again, because of my parents, I was exposed to stuff like uh, black gospel, uh, you know, uh, jazz with the Dave Brubeck Quartet. Uh, you know, Mahalia Jackson was a black gospel artist back in the 50s. And she had she just had a tremendous voice <clears throat> that really it stood out to me and really it reached me. I don't know how or why, but it reached me anyway, cutting back to the harder stuff. Again, the riffs, the catchy riffs and stuff that set the, t- the tone for a song. I always appreciated that. And, you know, I'm more of the older generation, musically speaking than you are, but even now uh, bands like stone sour, you know, three days grace, you know, you can always appreciate some of that stuff. Five finger death punch, you know, you can appreciate a good riff, you know, when, when you hear it. And 
uh, you know, but back then, you know, the, there was a thing that obviously the other big musical scene that happened right on the heels of disco was two of them. One of them came, uh, became well-known here as the punk invasion. And that was, you know, like the Sex Pistols, you know, Sham 69, bands like that. Of course, the Ramones, they were kind of associated with punk, but they really weren't punk. They were just uh, edgy, real edgy rock and roll. Anyway, uh, bands like that are what really took off back then. And I, I didn't mind them. I liked them. But the band that really got me back then, too, like I say, was Motorhead. And then listening to bands like Aerosmith, um, who I think is more rock and roll than metal, but they, they could rock hard. ACDC obviously was a huge influence. But in their early days, they were more of a, 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 of a bluesy, boogie rock band. More, but they had great riffs. Even though it was the same you know, three-chord riff, they still, they still could rock with the best of them. And, I mean, Back in Black is when they really started turning into uh, real heavy metal. And it started, I mean, and obviously with the death of Bon Scott, Brian Johnson came in there with Back in Black. And then an album that nobody really talks about, but really, to me, I loved more than Back in Black. And that is For Those About to Rock which was the album that followed it. Yeah. That was a power, that was a powerhouse album. Anyway, uh, but it was stuff like that, Mike, you know, that I really, that really shaped me. And then the other, I told you about the two forces that came about back then was one was punk. The other came from England as well. And it was known as the NWO BHM, the new wave of British heavy metal. So there were bands back then uh, that were, uh, really popular in England, and a couple of them were from here in the States, but they didn't make, find their success here in the States. They found it in England first. Bands like Twisted Sister, uh, The Rods, Y&T, um, thinking of bands like that from the States. But then, of course, England had their own bands like Saxon. Motorhead really took off uh, yeah. in the early 80s. Uh, bands like that, uh, I'm trying to think of who else. Um Obviously, the godfathers of metal, are they consider them the godfathers of metal, Black Sabbath. Uh, but bands like that um, really influenced me. UFO uh, from the 70s and the early 80s. Michael Schenker. He was my, that was probably, him and Gary Moore were probably the two most profound influences on me musically. Uh, when Michael Schenker left UFO and did his solo stuff. Just was fantastic. Scorpions was another big influence on me, you know, because a lot of people don't realize that Michael Schenker was in Scorpions, like before he was in UFO. And uh, he was on the first album, Lonesome Crow, and he was on their 1979 album, Love Drive, which is a good album, and uh, wrote a lot of songs on that album, uh, gave them the song Coast to Coast, which is an instrumental, which is really good. Anyhow... Uh, he was probably, he and Gary Moore, who used to be in Thin Lizzy, uh, were probably the two biggest musical influence as far as uh, melody goes, and also great riffs and great songwriting and great guitar playing. They were probably the two biggest. But I also loved other bands, too, like Riot. Not Quiet Riot, but Riot out of New York City. Uh, most people know them like that listen to like Ozzy's Boneyard. They'll know Swords and Tequila. 
but they had a whole slew of great albums and great songs. And so they're a band that it dearly, they started out as a normal new wave of British heavy metal band with, you know, commercial riffs and things like that. And then they turn into a, uh, um, I guess for lack of a better term, a speed metal band. And they, they started, they turned into that in the latter part of their career and, and stuff. And they, you know, they lost their founder, Mark Reale, a couple years ago, but they're still going strong without him. But uh, just bands like that. Saxon was another huge influence on me. Uh, again, British, uh, new wave of British heavy metal. Um, trying to think off the top of my head. You know, just stuff like that is what got me going. Uh, um, White's, I guess the hair bands also a little bit. Like Whitesnake, the early stuff when they were bluesier. Uh, just b- different bands like that are what were big influences for me. And they're the bands that I always enjoyed. Uh, and to this day, I still play all that stuff. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't wander too far from that. I do yeah. every now and then. I'll, I do listen to some stuff now. Like as far as like bands that are popular now, I'm probably a. I, I don't mind. Like I say, I'll listen to a little bit of Stone Sour, um, maybe Skillet, uh, bands like that. I'll tune into and listen to uh, from time to time and stuff like that. And like I said, I, I just like. Uh, uh, I like from the nine or the ninety or early two thousands rather. I didn't mind Disturbed, uh, just stuff like that. Every now and then, yeah. a good, as long as it's a good riff and it and it it's real catchy. But uh, yeah, just stuff like that is what I grew up on, and and I couldn't find anything more recent, uh, really, to replace it to the point where I would stop listening to it. So right. that's that. You know, just I'm old school, and well, that's just me. So when did you graduate from high school? Because like I graduated '06, so I mean we're you used to joke around and call me young pup, but uh, were were you early '80s or mid '80s? I'm trying to remember. Early '80s, 1982. So you are a young pup to me, even though you're in your 30s now. So 19, so 1982. So you mentioned Kiss. Do you remember the first? Was that the first record you bought? Like how old were you when you got your first? Whether it was a, a tape. Well, 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 you had eight tracks back then. Were, yes, we were did. Cassette <laughs> tapes still in in that realm too. So, like, what was your first metal like purchase that you remember? Well, and and how old were you? I was probably in. I don't remember. I'm trying to think. Maybe because we didn't. We couldn't buy records a lot. We bought back then. We bought singles. Yeah, you know, little yeah. forty five records. The little forty fives. Were those like, like the seven inch uh, records? Yeah, they were well. They were yeah. They were the little seven-inch records. They were the, uh, they the forty-five was the speed that it would rotate. The yeah. the full album rotated at thirty-three and a third, and then if you had the really old records from back in the in the you know thirties and forties, they were on the Victrola. Those were the seventy-eights, seventy-eight RPMs. So, but I we would always get the forty-fives because that was what we went by. What was on the radio? We always found we grew up in Toledo. WOHO was the station to listen to. But the biggest influencing station that you could pick up in about 25 states back then was 100 CKLW, the big eight. That they, bro- they were around before MTV was. And if you wanted to make it big musically, you had to get, you know, in MTV, you got your video on there, you were going to make it or at least get some sales going and notoriety. If, before MTV, if you wanted to do that, you had to be played airplay on CKLW. It was based in Windsor, but it was basically a Detroit station. 
It was in yeah. Canada, over the line, but uh, over the border. But anyhow, you know, so back then we grew up listening to 45s. We grew up um, listening to, I'm trying to think of what else, 8-tracks, yes, definitely. And 8-tracks were out before cassettes were. So we had 8-tracks, eight eight, I, I still have some. I still have 8-tracks. I think I still have two of my 8-track players. I have an 8-track player and an 8-track recorder. Anyway, um, just stuff like that. And, of course, 8-tracks went by the way of the Edsel when the cassette uh, player came out and the cassettes came out. And then, of course, they went down, uh, you know, they, they were put on mothballs when CDs came out. <laughs> and, and then, of course, CDs went went away pretty much. I mean, you can still find them, but it's very hard to find them anymore because you've got MP3s files that you can download. So it's a lot easier now. But uh, a lot of people like the, the records, though. They like the LPs because they had a, a more deep, rich sound to them than the yeah. CDs do and the MP3s do. They do. They love, they love buying al- uh, albums, and they still... That's why they they came back. They bring back what record players because a lot of people held on to their albums from back in the 70s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. They held on to those records, and they you know so they play them on. They there's a market for them now, and some bands now put out albums because oh, yeah. they, you know Kiss is probably the most notable one that did uh, putting out a, their last couple releases on albums on LPs. So. You know, that's the stuff. And you that... get the artwork and everything too. It's like a whole package. You have something tangible, you know, because because even younger people have really gotten into the the vinyl resurgence too. You know, people in their twenties and thirties, and you know, uh, you know, coming from I guess me being part of sort of that whole Napster, you know, MP3, you know, kind of generation and iTunes and everything. Like I I still to this day, and and now they are starting to sadly kind of become obsolete CDs. That is because even newer cars, like my girlfriend just got a new car. There's no CD player in there. Like I would always get CDs cause I didn't have a record player. My dad did, but I liked opening up the album, looking at the artwork, reading the lyrics while I would listen to it. And, and so, yeah, to your point, I think that's a big, big part of the LP album resurgence too. You get, you get a tangible package that rather than just something that is just compressed on a, on a, on a player. And you've heard people too, like Neil Young say the sound like you talked about on, on a record is just so much richer than when it gets, when it gets shrunken down into like an MP3 format, which I guess you'd have to be a real kind of, what's the word, like an audio connoisseur to really kind of get the difference. I mean, and you're somebody that would, because you came from that generation, you know, you know, you know what the funny part is you talk about the, the cars not having players anymore. The car I drive now, I have an old car because I was, I told you about being in that car wreck before the, night before the day before the sap game when i got the award i drive an old car now it's a lincoln town car the thing has a built-in cassette deck that's awesome (laughs) it it is hilarious it comes in handy because i put in i have uh, i have satellite radio but i have one of those portable ones so i stick it on it came the, the way they were originally released was that you could stick them on your windshield and stick them in there with suction and then you could uh, plug it into your uh, cassette deck right. in, on the radio or in your car stereo. And that's how I do it. And so that's how I listen to satellite radios through that. I have one of those cassette deck converters. You push it in the cassette deck and it's got a, a, a wire that stri- goes plugs right into the satellite radio. It's hilarious. But yeah, 
but yeah, you know, I mean, it's obviously a, a, a nod to how, you know, uh, technology has changed and how we've moved on. But there are some folks that, you know, even though things have advanced and have made things easier for us, some people still love the old school ways. You know, they still appreciate them. And I'm one of them. So, you know, yeah. but. So what, but, so what was that? What was that record? Like the first, the first, uh, like heavy music record that you remember purchasing? Oh gosh. Uh, the first two records I bought were, uh, Steve Miller, uh, cause he had a song out called jungle love and, uh, it was on, um, can't remember the name of the album, but, uh, it wasn't, it was the album after fly like an Eagle, which put him on the map, but, uh, jungle love was, and it's got a great riff. It's not the heaviest song you'll ever hear, but it is still pretty heavy for Steve Miller. And it's a very yeah. catchy tune. And, uh, that was one of, that was the first, one of the first records I ever bought. And Kiss, I bought the, I think it was Kiss, Kiss Alive, or Kiss Alive 2, maybe. Uh, so that was the first album I bought. And that, uh, that, that wasn't a 45. And, oh gosh, yeah, it was Kiss Alive 2. And uh, that was back in like 77, I think, 1977. So uh, that album is still is one of my all-time favorite albums. And uh, it got me into that. I mean, obviously their biggest hits were, you know, Rock and Roll All Night and Detroit Rock City and right. stuff. So, you know, you listen to it and that's what got me into it. And so I, but then I heard it was a double album set. It was a two album set. So I listened to more songs and so I started going back and buying the vinyl of the old stuff of the uh, studio releases and got more and more into Kiss. And that got me more and more into hard rock. And so, you know, uh, it, it turned. But then, like I said, the new wave of British heavy metal hit and a really good friend of mine who I am friends with to this day. Matter of fact, in a couple of days, I'll be having breakfast with them at a restaurant Uh it will be eating through our face masks. Anyway, uh, his, na his name's Steve. And Steve and I met because I heard on the, on the radio, I heard a song on the radio that was real catchy. It had a nice catchy riff. And it was Joe Perry with his first solo release. Just as the, It was like he had just left Aerosmith. And he had just left Aerosmith and was going on tour with this album called Let the Music Do the Talking. As a matter of fact, Aerosmith recovered it as an Aerosmith song when he came back to the band years later. And uh, he put, but he put out an album called let the music do the talking. And it was a very catchy tune, but the song, that song. And then he also put out uh, two other singles off that album that uh, the station out of Detroit, WRIF, the riff, they played it on the radio. And so I, that was another album I bought that, but it was like, kind of like, Nobody really knew who Joe Perry was in Toledo. They knew he was the guy from Aerosmith, but they didn't, they didn't like go out and they weren't like, oh, yeah, I love his album. I'm going to buy. No, not right. at all. So I bought it and I was really into it. And then uh, Steve and I, he saw that I was a Joe Perry fan. He found out. And so we started talking and we found out that we had some similar tastes. And so he got me into uh, Def Leppard. Well, for the first album only, 
That's the only album I like. On Through the Night. Rock Brigade is the single off that album. And, uh, you know, it, it had other songs that were hits in England. But here in the States, Rock Brigade was the only one that really got airplay. And so that was the, that album was the only one I really liked from Def Leppard. High and Dry, and then especially Pyromania. Uh, at that point, I became real cynical about uh, about popular music. Uh, don't even get me started about Bon Jovi. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but uh, we got we got you became, real you became a metal snob. You became a, yes. a metal a metal music snob. <laughs> yes, I yes I did. <laughs> and especially with the hair bands, not so much the metal stuff, but the hair bands. Oh man, I was, I just, I mean, we, I could, t- I could tell you stories that would take way too long for this podcast, but they involve meeting guys like, like we were in a club. Steve and I were in a club once uh, when uh, Slippery When Wet came out for Bon Jovi, and the guys were playing a show in Toledo the next d- night, and they came in early and went to a bar, a music bar. Uh, uh, West Kips West Side Rock scene. Uh, I don't know if you remember that. Uh, Kips West. Anyway, I don't that think was, so. They, that was probably gone when you came around, but uh, it was there back then, and a lot of bar bands would play there. Anyway, some of the guys from from Bon Jovi, I think like Tico Torres, uh, Richie Zambora, and whoever their bass player was, they were all in there, and they were standing next to us. You know, and of course, Steve goes off and starts saying stuff like, you know what I really hate? He goes, I hate when bands have to pay or pay radio stations. You know what they call that? Payola. And he starts talking about payola in front of them. I'm sitting there going, Steve, stop. We're going to get our butts kicked. You know, because he, he still believes that that's how they got popular in the beginning. And I'm like, Steve, you know, but uh, anyway. So we had a good laugh about that still to this day, <laughs> but, uh, it, but yeah, so we're snobs when it comes to, when it comes to, uh, to the hair metal boys, but Def Leppard, I will give them credit for one thing as much as I, I mean, everybody fell in love with pyromania because I remember here locally on the local rock station here, they were going the heavy metal album of the year. And the first song they played was rock, rock till you drop, which I thought was a catchy tune, but then when they played Photograph to death, to death, I got so tired of it. I was like, oh, my God, please stop. And it, I became like this anti-Def Leppard guy. But when they went on tour for it, I had to buy tickets because the opening act from they were on tour with Crocus and they were on t- and opening. There was a three band bill. It was them with Crocus in the middle and opening up everything was Gary Moore. And he had just released Corridors of Power, which uh, Always Gonna Love You was the single off that, a slow song. But it was still, he was a great, great songwriter. And anyhow, uh, it was funny, a quick, a quick aside. They played the Toledo Sports Arena. And I, Steve and I went to the show because we wanted to see Gary Moore play. Right. And so we, we see him. So they're playing. Gary Moore puts on, he only got to play like about 45 minutes. But he puts the show anyway. Awesome. Anyhow, uh, so we sneak backstage. We're able to sneak backstage. You know, I don't know how, but they, it was much. The security was lax. Anyway, <laughs> back there, we're back there, looking like two sore thumbs, and we're looking for Gary Moore. And we can't find him. We run into Rick Allen. The dr- he had still had both his arms at the time. Uh, he is skateboarding, and we run into. 
I think Joe Elliott or something, they're out there screwing around, drinking, being goofballs. Well, we didn't even talk to them because we weren't interested in meeting them. We were looking for Gary Moore, doggone it. And we end up, uh, we look, and then there's Mark Storacci, the singer for Crocus. And he's there with a bottle of Jack Daniels, still in his stage gear, looking at a couple of girls going, hey, baby, you want to get high? And we're, we're sitting, I'm just like doing everything I can not to pee my pants. So anyway, we never got to meet Gary Moore, but we go back to their, I mean, being the stalkers we were, we were like, what, 19 years old. So we go back to their hotel where they were staying. We see their tour bus. And so we know they're there. Well, we go into the hotel and we run into their Gary Moore's drummer, who is Ian Pace, who most uh, rock and roll people know, especially the classic rock people know, he is the drummer for Deep Purple, always has been. And then he spent a little bit of time with, with Whitesnake, and then he also spent time with Gary Moore. Okay. And, and then he went back to Deep Purple. So anyhow, uh, Ian Pace was sitting in the bar drinking. So we went and talked with him for a few. and then, uh, But we never got to meet Gary Moore, which was our objective. But it was still a lot of fun. But yeah, we saw and we saw them another time up. And we drove up to the very top of the lower peninsula of Michigan to see them play up there. And then at the last minute, Gary Moore jumps off the tour. So all we get stuck with is Crocus and Def Leppard. So I was like, eh. but it was what it was. But uh, yeah, you know, stuff like that. I mean, in my era, I, and like I say, punk rock was another thing that also helped me. Like, I got to see bands live in person, like the Misfits, the Dead Kennedys, uh, Black Flag, uh, bands like that, you know, uh, you name it. Uh, we got to see all that stuff. But also, you know, the local metal scene had good stuff. I know you're big into bands like Tropic Bombs and right, things like right. that. You know, well, back then, the bands that were the most popular band in Toledo back then was a band called Damien. Yeah. And they were, I used you, to take guitar lessons with Chuck Stoll. <laughs> Chuck, well, yep. I should say I took a handful of guitar lessons with Chuck Stoll. He was he was super nice, but I mean, you know, he's a shredder. You know what I mean? And so, like, yeah. I, I when I first got my guitar when I was nineteen over at Peeler Music, my buddy Benny worked there, and they were like, "What kind of music are you into?" I remember there was this guy there that was talking about an acoustic guitar. I'm like, "Yo, dude, I, I like I like Metallica and Corn and like I, Alter Bridge. Like I, I want to play some like metal. You know what I mean?" So, I took some lessons with Chuck, and he was super cool. But he was a shredder, and you know me, like I'm already my harshest critic, and I'm hard on myself. Well, just imagine me the first time picking up a guitar, even though I'm a you know big music fan, like. I'll sheepishly admit that I've probably spent, no, I have spent more time air guitaring than actually practicing <laughs> my guitar. <laughs> and certainly to that point in my life, as you know, as a 19 year old kid, you know, I, I, I wasn't really musically inclined. So it was, he was super nice. Uh, I actually got his, his, uh, his solo record stolen mm -hmm. um, or stolen. I, I always forgot how to pronounce it. Um, it was just his last name and then like a little dash and, and and it was yeah, really good. He's super, super great dude. But uh, I just felt like with my skill level, like I just wasn't there yet. So I would play with my buddy uh, who, who I've had on this show too, my buddy Andy Langston, uh, mm -hmm. who was you know one of my really good friends from high school. And uh, we we actually just caught up a couple months ago and we're talking music and everything. And it was like we we you know we just talked to each other yesterday. But anyway, he would come up and and I'd practice with him and jam with him because he was. 
you know, he was he was always really supportive and cool. So, yeah, it's funny you mentioned Damien because I know no Chuck. But anyway, sorry, just to, oh, to no. just to jump in there. Yeah, he Please, great guy. Free. But yeah, man, I was I was trying to figure out how to just keep my fingers on the frets, much less like do everything he was doing. He's a shredder. Keep him from uh, tying up in a knot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I understand. So, so you I w- said the local scene, uh, Damien was 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 uh, really big. Well, they had uh, the the album or the or I remember the single. I've seen the music video. Like every dog has its day. I yeah, do know that, that was the that album. Was like there was also jam. yeah, stop this war. Uh, that was another. That was their other album, and uh, they had the, my favorite song of all time from Damien is Thirty Saint Clair. It's a vi- it's a uh, instrumental. And it it pretty much it it describes Chuck Stoll to a T about what he can do with a guitar and he that can whole shred, band. Man. Yes, they can. Well, the other band that I loved way more, and that's not no slight on Damien because I really dug Damien, but the band that probably to the point where they were uh, an inf- another huge influence on me was a band out of Detroit called Seduce. They were okay. a, a, they were a metal band. But they had street cred, not only with the metal folks, but they had street cred with the punks. Because most of the punks would rail against metal bands. But uh, Seduce was one of those very few bands, very few, that had credibility amongst metal guys and punks. They were that good. And to this day, whenever they get together and play again, we we go see them. Because they're worth it. Their their album's... uh, Seduce was the first album, and then Too Much Ain't Enough was the other album they put out. And they were locally produced, locally, uh, everything was local. They didn't have any, I mean, they had Too Much Ain't Enough. Um, they signed to IRS Metal, and it was funny. The president of the company, uh, their, their, their producer uh, or their manager uh, had a conversation with them. They were walking, at a, or they met at a party or something. And he said, well, who's the next big metal band? And he goes, seduce. And so he goes, what do they sound like? He had to tell you how old they are. They had a Walkman. The guy had a Walkman with a cassette <laughs> in it. Gave, gave the, his name was Miles Copeland. He was the president of IRS uh, records. Gave him the, uh, gave him the headset. And back then it was something to get signed by a label. It ain't like now. We oh yeah. Stuff. It was something to get signed by a band. He listened to the Walkman for te- literally 10 seconds. And he looked at him and said, what do you think? He goes, sign them. That's so, awesome. Yeah, it was great. So anyhow, they put out the album. And they also were on, uh, I don't know if you ever saw uh, the two movies called Decline of the Western Civilization. There's actually a third one out. And I, I don't even know where it's at. But the first two, the first one was the punk scene. And it was just basically, uh, uh, like it was kind of like a documentary about bands and their lives uh, as part of the punk scene. And then they had the second re- release was Decline of the Western Civilization, The Metal Years. And it was okay. like metal bands like Great White, uh, 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 Britney Fox, I think. I can't remember all of them. Uh, uh, L.A. Guns, I think, was in it. I can't remember. Well, Seduce got a, got a spot in that. And they played their, they, they were, I mean, they were probably the most down-to-earth guys on that, in that, in that movie and i mean like like uh one of the guys for great white is sitting there talking about all these uh like wild sex that he had with these girls and all stuff and he's sitting at a at a and by a pool 
with his mother sitting right there in front of him. And he's talking about, yeah, I'm doing this with this girl. And then this other girl came in there and we're, and he's getting real graphic. And his mom sitting there, you can see the pained look in her face. And that was kind of <laughs> what the whole idea of the movie was, was how hard it is. And then, and then you get seduced and they are like a breath of fresh air in there. And then they played crash landing from uh, too much ain't enough. And, it's just stuff like that. And then that's what led me to revisit, you know, hearing all that stuff let, led me to revisit older bands, you know, from the 70s, like getting into Foghat, uh, Slade, um, just stuff like that. I mean, there were so many good bands that deserve credit, like Angel, uh, bands like that, that uh, you just don't hear about anymore. And yet they were very influential to a lot of the metal guys back then, just like you know, bands talk about, you know, Black Sabbath being an influence or Metallica being an influence. Well, Metallica was influenced by Black Sabbath and Thin Lizzy, you know? So, you know, stuff like that. And uh, you just kind of, you know, you just kind of go from there. But, you know, it's... Motorhead and and Saxon that you mentioned um, and some of the some of the heavy music documentaries that I've watched, you know, Metallica has has definitely talked about, um, you know, UFO, Michael Shanker, Saxon, Motorhead, um, Death Angel. Um, cause Raven. I did you ever get into them? Cause they were, they were another one out of the, cause again, I was born in 88. So any, anybody who's like a, a music head who's listened to this and, and is, is older than that of myself, give me credit, but like, wasn't Death Angel another one of those bands that came out of the, the British that was, that kind was, of yeah, that was later. Yep. That, yes, it was, but it was a little bit later, just a little okay. bit later, but they still played, they didn't play hair band. That's for sure. But, I mean, you heard, uh, I mean, there were bands like uh, Raven, and then later on, uh, like, towards the late 80s, bands like TNT. Uh, Europe is a huge, they were influenced huge by uh, Michael Schenker and uh, UFO. Uh, but uh, also, you know, I'm trying to think, bands like um, The Rods out of upstate New York, who really weren't big here at all but they were big in in England and uh they were uh they were definitely a metal band and uh they were part of that whole new wave of british heavy metal though uh stuff like that uh trying to think y and t they everyone knows them for summertime girls but they had so many good early albums and the thing they were always most noticed for was the production on their albums they were produced so well uh I mean, whether it was Max Norman or Chris Sangrids, uh, those guys, those guys knew how to produce, and they're the guys that really produced great, help uh, produce their albums so well. And Y&T, they used to call them the Oakland Raiders of rock because they were, <laughs> they were, they were very aggressive in their music. And even back in the '70s, I mean, when you hear some of the music from the '70s that they put out, they didn't really get noticed until the early '80s. That's when their biggest albums came out. But they they were around since the 70s. And I think Dave Menachetti, the guitar player and singer, is the only one that's still alive out of the band. But he still tours his Y&T. But um, just stuff like that. I mean, whether it was uh, an Except, that's another band, a metal band that's still going strong. Uh, of course, their singer, original singer Udo Dirkschneider, left the band, formed his own band called Udo. And still, they both bands still tour. I guess they get along now. They didn't used to, but they get along. And you just, gave me a mix with uh, with some except on it. 
because you knew I was yes, into Metallica and the thrash metal and stuff. Yeah, you made a, you made a mix with me for for me with uh, Accept on it. Yeah, Accept. They're they're out of Germany. Great band. Everyone knows Balls to the Wall, but uh, I mean the the there were some great albums that they had early on. Of course, Restless and Wild, which was the album before Balls to the Wall. Uh, that was still that still is my favorite Accept album of all time. Uh, and it's funny, my favorite Accept song of all time is probably not even one that Udo sang on. It came out years later with uh, Mark, the guy that sings for them now. A, a song, uh, ironically enough, called Pandemic. It's Oh, uh, geez. Yeah, it, and it came out about like maybe five, six years ago. Maybe, maybe even a little longer than that. But it's called Pandemic, and it's a great riff, catchy riff. Even if you're not a speed metal guy... It's it, it, it you'll like this song because it's real catchy. Um, probably the most commercial thing I've heard him do, but it's still hard rocking, no question about it. Mo- so. Morbid Angel was the other uh, other band I was thinking of too. Like there I, is a, there I, is a death, death there is there is a Death Angel though. Yeah, there's Death, death Angel, Angel. There's and, Morbid Angel. Morbid Angel was the one that where they they were a little bit earlier, right? Like early eighties. I yep. think that's who I might have been conflating Death Angel with. Yeah, there's there is there is that there is Morbid Angel. There's also Angel, the band. Uh, they came out in the '70s though. They were a '70s rock band, late '70s, and they put out a few good albums. White Hot probably being their most popular one. But uh, so, what were some of the big um, the big shows, Mick, that you remember in your day? Because when we as we're talking about the '80s, I mean, in that era, like sometimes I wish I would have been born 20 years earlier because. You literally, you guys were were coming out of high school at the time that that really all of the the stuff that laid the groundwork for bands like you mentioned, like Disturbed and uh, you know Stone Sour and Three Days Grace. I mean, if it weren't for the Metallicas and the the Megadeths, the Slayers, the you know Anthraxes and 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 all you know in the the British metal that came in, like we talked about with Saxon and whatnot. I mean. Those were all the bands that I think laid the groundwork for everything that that I hear now. I mean, I've even heard Jason Hook from Five Finger Death Punch mention uh, how how influential Kiss was when he was a kid. Um, you know, and, and you mentioned just I think those guys being being in the costumes that they were in and having that sound. Um, you know, as a kid, what what that looked like. You know, especially at that time. But you you guys were on the. Uh, like the the new dawn of a lot of great music, I think in the '80s. You know, obviously for me being a metalhead, but also you mentioned just a lot of really good rock and roll. And back then, you had what like the Monsters or Rock. Um, my stepdad even told me everybody and their brother. And this is a little bit inside baseball for for people who are listening to this who aren't from Toledo. But everybody and their brother used to come through and play Toledo Sports Arena. I mean, he told me he goes, "Gosh, I probably saw ACDC," you know open for a bunch of people on on the way up for them but um what were some of the big concerts that to this day you still th- that are still in your memory is like wow what what a show what are, what are what's like the handful of shows that you went to that still stick out to you oh more than a handful buddy you know what the funny part <laughs> is there's another band that we didn't mention that was also huge back then with us and we loved tremendously and still do is iron maiden uh you know they played. Oh, they, of course, yeah. I yeah. saw them three times in one week. Uh, I saw them in Toledo, Detroit, and Cleveland in that oh, order. Oh, wow! So yeah. you were super into it. Yes, I used to. We used to travel and go to a lot of shows, and when I say a lot, I mean a lot. 
So you've been to what? What would you say? Hundreds, hundreds at least. I don't have. I have no idea how many shows I've been to, but I've been to a lot. But uh, I remember seeing. Uh, uh, it was uh, Scorpions, Iron Maiden, and Girl School, who was another all-girl heavy metal band that deserves accolades that uh, they don't. People don't appreciate what they contributed. I mean, people always think of the Runaways and stuff with Joan Jett and everything, but right. Girl Girl School takes a backseat to nobody. I mean, nobody. They 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 had some great releases and they were hard rock and they put out a song called uh, Emergency with it was uh, I believe it was a Motorhead song and uh, it, they did it with Motorhead. They they got together with they called the band um, Head School and. Uh, they it was um they they did a couple of songs where actually it was a girl school song that motorhead covered and then i think girl school covered uh, uh bomber which most motorhead fans will know from the early days anyway uh it was really 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 good back then and i mean like i said that's the one thing i will always take with me forever is the music we got to in, experience back then not only from the 80s but even in from the 70s because a lot yeah. of the bands, even though their heyday was the 70s, they came back later and played in clubs, played in small places where they used to play in arenas, accidentally clubs and stuff in the 80s. So we still got to see <clears throat> bands like UFO. I mean, they would play arenas and stuff like that back in the 70s, but in the 80s, Anyway, but yeah, Scorpions, Iron Maiden, Girl School. That lineup was awesome. And then we saw Judas Priest, I don't know how many times, with with uh, Iron Maiden. And then we saw Iron Maiden open up. This is going to throw your mind. You're going to wonder how, but they played together on the same bill. Iron Maiden opened up uh, for... Uh, i trying to think. They opened up for Rainbow... Who that's not the weird part. Rainbow, then they were the middle uh, band on the bill, the headlining band, 38 Special. Oh, so, wow. That was weird. I mean, you're going from being from headbanging, watching Iron Maiden, to catching some great guitar work from Richie Blackmore's Rainbow. And then you go from that to Wild Eyed Southern Boys. Now, don't get me and, wrong. And Dio, Dio was singing in, in Rainbow, right? No, not at that point. He had oh, left. at that point he wasn't no, in Rainbow was, anymore. No, he was in he was in Black Sabbath at that point. Oh, okay, and okay. I've seen I've saw Black Sabbath a million times too, but um, and I saw the but anyway, no, it was Joe Lynn Turner, and uh, he was with Rainbow, and trying to think here, uh, let's see, yeah, that was. Yeah, that was back in the early 80s, like 82, 80, yeah, about 82 it was, uh, where I saw that saw that bill, when it was Iron Maiden opening up for Rainbow, opening up for 38 Special. Now, I have nothing against 38 Special. I've come to appreciate them a whole lot more now as I've gotten older. They've got some great uh, catchy tunes. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm more hard rock oriented, so, you know, they're more southern rock, uh, like country flavored than anything else, but I've I respect what they do, but it just was a really weird mix of trying to see all of that with you know the Van Zants with uh, 
you know, Richie Blackmore and Steve Harris, Bruce Dickinson and Iron Maiden. It's just kind of, right. but that was a show back then. And uh, let's see, I'm trying to think. Another big influence on me was a band out of Canada. They were the same on the same label as Rush, but they didn't get the push that Rush did. And there's a band called Max Webster. Max Webster uh, put out a song called Battle Scar, which was sung uh, by them, their lead singer, Kim Mitchell. And he put out, or anyway, he sang that song with Getty Lee from Rush, and he had a hit on his hands with it. And then he also wrote a song back then when that album came out on for elsewhere on the album called April in Toledo. And so the local station played it a lot because it was featured the, the you know, the title Toledo in the song. Right. So anyway, um, so long story short, Kim Mitchell broke up Max Webster, went on his own solo, put out a song in 1984 called go for soda, which is, you know, people still play that song from him uh, from time to time. And he was also a good hard rock guy. Uh, more commercial and melodic, but still a good rock, solid rock guy. And uh, he was, uh, they were a big influence on me also, the Canadian flavor there, because bands like Rush, Triumph, uh, Small, uh, uh, she put out an album called Metal Queen, a woman who was absolutely stunningly gorgeous by the name of Lee Aaron. Uh, A lot of the bands up there that didn't get credit here in the States, but they put out a lot of great music up there. Anvil too, right? Anvil was hilarious. They were, yeah, you would, you might like them, Mike. You might like them. I was not a fan, but they put out the guy. His name was Lips. He went. That was his moniker for the band. He was the singer and the guitar player. And I mean, they were like thrash metal, loud, loud, loud. And their band, uh, the president, that their band manager, she was a, a girl that was just so fanatically into them. She had them play her wedding and everybody in the wedding, like three songs in left. It's part, I saw the Anvil documentary. It's on DVD. If you look it up in Amazon or somewhere, it might even be on YouTube for all I know. It is hysterical. They try to do a comeback and it kind of, well, it, it doesn't go so well, but uh, it, it, it's, I mean, I watched that thing and was mesmerized. It was hysterical. These guys were like, I mean, if you wanted to see Spinal Tap in real life, instead of a mockumentary, have an actual documentary. This is Anvil is probably the uh, is probably what you want to see, because it, 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 it is about as close to Spinal Tap as it gets, and stuff. But uh, you know, it was bands like that though. I mean, still, you know, even though I wasn't a big Anvil fan, I liked about three, four of their songs. Uh, but there was a Satanic band. It was, uh, you know, they were trying to like take Black Sabbath and go warp speed with it. They were called Venom, and they did all the, all the that whole double worshiping genre. But you could tell they were doing it, you know, basically as a gimmick. But they had all of the, all of that stuff on there and stuff. Uh, they had like one called Welcome to Hell and Black. Did Metal you ever see like uh, uh, Celtic Frost? Yes, once, and I wasn't even going to go to the show. But a friend of mine talked me into it. Not bad, man. I tell you what, they're I, I I'm I'm not their biggest fan, but they put on a heck of a show live. They really King do. Diamond. He's yeah, great merciful voice. fate. Merciful fate. The only thing with him was is that when he was with Merciful Fate, that was his band, and that's where he became. He, I mean, he, here in America, he became more well known as for just King Diamond. But everywhere else around the globe, 
he was more well known as being the front man for uh, Merciful Fate. And it was basically, he is, he, let's put it this way, he got better with his songwriting and doing stuff with as King Diamond than he did uh, in the old Merciful Fate days. You could, there's a big difference. And I will so say was that it, was it Celtic Frost, uh, Merciful Fate, and then King Diamond? Is that was that the progression for him? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, no, actually, it was Merciful Fate, um, Celtic, Celtic Frost, then King Diamond. Merciful oh, okay. Fate was first, um, and then um, yeah, and then it was Celtic Frost, then King Diamond, but uh, and then he would go back and forth between the two for a little while there. So what were did, what were um, what were some of the shows that you saw? Like, if you were to give me your favorite, like if we do favorite, because I know you've seen a lot of shows. If you gave me your favorite club shows, whether it was some little place in Toledo or um, elsewhere, your favorite arena show and or, or shows, and then maybe yeah. your favorite festivals. Because again, back then in the eighties, man, kind of like what you said, you got you got a good mix of bills. And I think there's bands like Slipknot, for example, which have tr- who have tried to bring that back. You mentioned Stone Sour a little bit earlier. Corey Taylor, obviously being the front man for both those bands, and an amazing talent, great voice, and I love him too because he always just speaks his mind. But um, but I think they've kind of tried to bring that back, and I know he's mentioned that because he's like, man, when we would come up, we would see these shows that would have like, you know, faith no more and Metallica and, and there'd be a good mix of good mix of bands, you know, uh, suicidal tendencies. And he's like, so we, we kind of want to try to make our shows, not just, you know, kicking you in the teeth for, for four hours, but having kind of a diverse lineup. So if you look back on what are some of your favorite um, club shows, arena shows, and then festivals that you've gotten to see where you were just like, wow, this is, this is definitely one for the ages. Well, let's see. Club shows, probably uh, Michael Schenker uh, playing with Seduce at St. Andrews Hall in Detroit. Uh, Harpo's was a great venue. Back. It's still open, but it's nothing what it used to be. That used to be the, the place where it was for bands that were too big for clubs, but too small for arenas. They would play Harpo's. Okay. And, and so, you, I mean, some of the best bands ever played Harpo's Gary Moore played there. Y&T played there. Except played there. Um, I, I, I mean, I, the list goes on and on. Uh, but uh, the, the um, probably at Harpo's, the best show I ever saw there was Except, and they had Seduce again opening for him. And uh, I saw Sed- also Seduce playing there. Uh, you can tell I'm a big fan. So. But um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. It's good to get the names out of some of these bands that people might not have heard of. You know, I think that's awesome. Now, now in Toledo, uh, there was an old, uh, it, I guess it would be a comparable. It was a hall that was comparable to like a VFW post type thing. Well, okay. I got to see uh, Damien headline. They had a band called VXN opening for them, and uh, they were both really, really good. Uh, and uh, trying to think of who else, you know, as far as clubs go. Here in Toledo, uh, Kim Mitchell, the guy that uh, wrote and sang Go For Soda, that used to be in uh, Max Webster, uh, he put on a show the same night that Iron Maiden played in Toledo, or, yeah, played in Toledo at the sports arena with Accept as the opening act. And then, you know, so it was a doubleheader for, you know, most music heads and stuff. 
Um, let's see. The first show I seen in the sports arena, I let's see, I think was Nazareth with the Joe Perry Project. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, and then uh, that was probably the best show I ever seen in the sports arena. Although I did see later on, I did see Jay Giles. And uh, they, I tell you what, it's too bad people aren't, you know, that they're, uh, Jay Giles himself passed away. And the band, they're all from the 70s, so they're all uh, too old, not to be mean, but too old to be able to put uh, put on a show like they did back then. The energy level that they put out and caused their fans to go absolutely nuts was incredible. The energy that they put out uh, to put on a show. I mean, when, when, when the fans are still going nuts after the show is over and the house lights come on that signal the end of the show and they come back out while the house lights are on to play music, that yeah. tells you how good they were. And they were more, for those that don't know, they were more of a bluesy, funky, funk, uh, uh, blues, funk, rock and roll type band. They weren't a metal band at all, but they were, a, the. you look in the dictionary under good time party band, Jay Giles is right there at the top of the list. And that's one of those bands you haven't lived unless you've seen them at least once. And so thankfully got to see them. Uh, But that was another show I seen that was awesome in the sports arena. And uh, I'm trying to think uh, blacks. Here's, here's a weird one. I got to see black Sabbath with in several different incantations uh, with, you know, obviously everyone knows with Ozzy, but I got to see him with, Ronnie James Dio as they're singing. And also here's one that a lot of people don't remember because it was so short lived. Ian Gillen from deep purple. They, uh, they, uh, and it was funny because they put out the album called born again. And so people thought, Oh my gosh, these guys found religion and 700 club was calling them <laughs> wanting to do interviews. And it was like, no, the album is like, is, is like purple. And it's got this, uh, cartoonish baby on there with horns and fangs in its mouth and it's got horns on its head. So they oh, were doing the, the whole Catholic nuns love that. Oh yeah. <laughs> they, uh, yeah. It was like, oops, I guess they you, weren't. You and Steve weren't bringing that to uh, central Catholic. I'm sure if you were, uh, you were hiding it. <laughs> no, actually that was, a- that came out like a couple of years after. Okay. So you were out of the, the, the grips of the nuns at that point. Yeah. At that point. Yeah. Our knuckles were spared from the rulers, but uh <laughs> I, you know, it's funny because, yeah, you know, he, in that, that album uh, with Ian Gillen singing, it was a great album. I mean, if you like Black Sabbath, I'm telling you, th- that album was so good and well produced. And, and it's, it's, it's sadly, people don't really listen to it much, but it is an album worth checking out. And anyway, when we saw them live, they had Quiet Riot opening up for them. Quiet Riot had released Metal Health and were just starting to make it big. Well, Black Sabbath was selling out all these concerts, but it wasn't because of them. It was because of Quiet Riot opening. Everyone was really getting, I mean, Quiet Riot was getting played on the radio. And so they were contractually obligated to finish the tour. So, so Black Sabbath was like, hey, this is great. We got packed houses everywhere we go. Well, they would play their, their set. And of course, Ian Gillen being there, they always finished as their encore would always be smoke on the water. So... It was kind of weird seeing Tony Iommi and Geezer Butler and Bill Ward playing that, but <laughs> but it, and and oh no 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 wait that was and also uh, Beth Bevan who was in a band called ELO Electric Light Orchestra played oh, on yeah, that yeah. drummer 
And he, he put on to this day, you can ask any of my friends that seen them back then will tell you the absolute worst drum solo I have ever heard in my life was played at the Toledo sports arena it back in 1983 or 84, whenever that album came out. And it was Bev Bevan who had no business being in a heavy metal band. He belonged back in yellow because he was horrible. I mean, horrible. And uh, as far as uh, metal drummers go now, I'm sure he's fine in his, in his uh, stuff in yellow, but uh, no, had no business being in black Sabbath. Anyway, that was probably one of the, and let's get into the festivals. Um, Oh, one other arena show I thought was absolutely fantastic. After the passing of Randy Rhodes, Ozzy had uh, Jakey e. Lee, who everyone knows from Black Label Society. Uh, he pl- he joined Ozzy's band uh, after. Well, it wasn't immediately after because Brad Gillis from Night Ranger and Bernie Torme, those guys had filled in also uh, during the tour that Ozzy was filling up right after Randy had passed. But for the next album. Uh, it was Jakey e. Lee with Bark at the Moon. And uh, and so he, and so uh, they put out, they had a great tour then. And, and that was a pretty catchy album for, I wasn't expecting much from it, but it was actually pretty good. And then they put out Master, or uh, Metallica put out Master of Puppets. Yeah, that uh, was what? That was 86. Master yeah, of Puppets, like Ride that. the Lightning. Ride the Lightning was 84, but Injustice for All was uh, is probably still one of my favorite Metallica records. I just, I love that album. I, I mean, Master of Puppets, I would say, is probably their, you know, the one that uh, most people, I would say, is probably their favorite. And it probably is maybe their overall, I guess you could say, front to back, their best body work. But I don't know, maybe, maybe it's because I was born in 88 too, but... I love Injustice for All. I mean, even even the even the songs, the the deep cuts. You know, Freight Ends of Sanity. You know what I mean? And um, yeah. but yeah, but anyway, sorry, I digress. But uh, but no, yeah, that's it. But that's I a got to see I got to see them on that tour though. It was Metallica opening up for Ozzy. For it was the ultimate sin for Ozzy's tour, and uh, Metallica opened up that show. And that was at Joe Louis in Detroit, and boy, was that a lot of fun. There's legendary stories to this day about that tour with Metallica and and Ozzy. Um, I've heard Jim Brewer, you know, comedian. You familiar with with Jim Brewer? Yes. I've heard him, yes. you know, huge metalhead from from the same era as you. And uh, you know, yeah, there's some legendary stories about. I can't even imagine what the, being on the road with Metallica and Ozzy at that time would have been like. Uh, it's dangerous, man. That'd be dangerous. I I, I can't even imagine. But uh, that was a that was a, a great tour back then. And then I saw Ozzy uh, in a festival setting, and that's where uh, I'm trying to think. We were in Kalamazoo, Michigan, I think, or just outside at a ski resort, and it was hilarious. We got to see. Uh, I'm trying to think of all the bands on that bill. I think Except was on there. Uh, Motley Crue. Um, trying to think there was like about six bands on there um uh gosh all i remember was the last three bands on the bill were uh it was motley Crue, then ozzy and then headlining the show was triumph oh not wow. a good yeah not a, i love triumph man triumph's a great band but that was not the right match for them yeah, to follow Motley Crue and Ozzy would be a task. I don't think that any, even to this day, I don't know that anybody would want to do that. Well, let's put it this way. The place was packed for most of the show. 
the early bands, um, I'm trying to remember. I think um, I want to say uh, I can't remember who all was on that bill. But um, anyway, when it got to Motley Crue, they were crazy, of course, and uncontrollable as always. Then Ozzy, who was nuts and stuff like that. And then when his show was finished, within two songs, I'd say 60% of the crowd hit, hit the exits when Triumph wow. came on. Two songs into, into Triumph set. They left. And uh, it was like, oh, my gosh. You know, but uh, it was, I think it was because they didn't start out with anything really high tempo, rocking hard. They they started out kind of on the slower side. And that just, people were just not at all into Triumph. Uh, Most of, like I say, it was Ozzy, Motley Crue. I think Quiet Riot was on that bill also. I can't remember, but I think so. Uh, what cycle and, was that for Motley Crue? Was that Theater theater of Pain at that point? No, that was Shout at the Devil. Oh, okay, okay. That was Shout at the Devil. So um, there was, I know there was a, another band that was supposed to be there that wasn't, and I can't remember who it was. But there was like about six or seven bands that were on there, and uh, it, was, uh, it was a great time. They started at like 10 in the morning and just kept going all, all day and all night. And when Triumph came on, I got to admit, I watched it a little bit longer than two songs. But then after a while, it was like me and the people I were with, uh, we went and we left, you know. But uh, trying to think, another really good arena show was uh, Kiss with, that was Creatures of the Night tour. And they had Vandenberg opening for them, another underrated guitar player, great songwriter. And Burt Herring, one of the best singers I've ever heard in my life. Uh, anyway, um Vandenberg Did you ever get to see underrated. Randy Rhodes, Mick? Uh, no, I did not see him in person live. Um, I, I, the first time I saw Ozzy was after that happened, after the plane crash happened. So I did not, but Steve got, got to. Steve saw him twice, I think. So I was still, you know, I was still a pup. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, Steve got to see him a couple of times. I did not. Uh I got to see Jakey e. Lee. I got to see Brad Gillis when uh, from Night Ranger when he played with Ozzy, uh, stuff like that. I'm trying to think of what else, but um, but yeah, no, that's that would have been a treat because uh, Randy was simply the best. He wouldn't have been with Ozzy long because he was he was a uh, what do you call a classically trained guitar player. So he was in a classical music too. So that, you know, so he, he wanted to explore that. He had talked about in interviews before his death that he wanted to talk more about that or explore more of that. Because he so. was um, uh, Diary of a Madman was, was his handiwork on that album, right? Yes. Diary, both Diary and uh, Blizzard of Oz. Right. Okay. Yep. So those yeah, are the two under, that he, underrated to me, Ozzy. Well, I mean, I guess I shouldn't say underrated, but, but because I mean that was your era. But I mean, the Ozzy that they that they came to play on the radio when I was growing up, you know, obviously everybody knows Crazy Train and everything, but um, 
but yeah, so maybe it's just maybe I say underrated just again because of my age. I was ten years old in nineteen ninety eight. So yeah, uh, that was a probably good. You know, that's a good sixteen years after you graduated high school. And I think Diary of a Madman was what eighty one ish in there. Yeah, eighty one or yeah, eighty one it was. Okay, uh, uh, eighty one or it might have been eighty two. It might have been early. No, I think it was eighty one. Because uh, when did Wizard Ray, Ray Rose did he pass away? Eighty three was when the, no, that, the plane crash happened. I want to say uh, it might have been early eighty three. I think it was okay, early eighty three. I'll, I'll check our good friend Google here, like I've done a couple times. Oh, March March nineteenth, nineteen eighty two was the. It was eighty two. Yeah, now I remember because he had to go Ozzy. Like a few days later, had to go on David Letterman, and so he didn't want to, but he went on, and so he was like real out of it and just kind of, eh. But uh, he, um, yeah, he went on like it was like about like three or four days later after the crash, he went on he went on David Letterman, and uh. you know they they didn't really talk about it much, but they were just talking you know they talked about the whole biting the head off a bat and that kind of stuff, you know that's what Letterman was doing. But yeah, they yeah he had to go and you know try and be talk about the album and stuff, even though you know Randy had just died. So yeah, you know that's I remember that now very well. Um, so so is that one of all the good shows that you've been to? Is that one that um, that you know if you if you look back, are, are there is there anybody that uh, um, that you missed that you wish you would have seen either because of an un untimely passing or because the band ended up disbanding or whatnot, or are there any shows that you look back and not, not necessarily in regret? Um, like, like for me, for I example, wish I could I wish, I wish I would have seen, um, Chris Cornell, you know, while he was still here. Um, I would have loved to have seen Chris Cornell. Um, obviously Nirvana again, you know, Kurt Cobain passed away in 94. I was, you know, only six years old. So that, that wave came on like a, you know, that was a huge wave when that came and, and unfortunately it came and went pretty quick, but, but obviously his legacy li lives on. But, uh, but anyway, not, not to step on my own question, but, but yeah, who, who, who maybe slipped through the cracks or like I said, either because of an unfortunate untimely passing or just because of just in terms of volume of shows, you just didn't get a chance to see that you wish you would have seen. Easily, number one, Slade. Um, they were they were a seventies rock band who became more of a hard rocking metal band in the eighties, and uh, they are they. I would have given anything to seen them live. Um, they're they're all still alive, but they're all also like in their mid to late 70s maybe early 80s um that would probably be the one band i wish i could have seen more than anybody uh most of the bands that i would have liked to have seen i got to see in some form or another um yeah you know i mean whether ted nugent i got to see uh with he acdc opened for him and uh this is back in the 80s but um but bands like that, the only probably the only other band, two bands, are classic rock bands, not not metal bands. Uh, Led Zeppelin and The Who. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen them. Uh, I when I, when did Led Zeppelin officially? When when did that officially? They they kind of part ways because because then Robert Plant in the early nineties and 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 uh, well maybe even before that, but um, 
you know, because he had what uh, I, I I was just listening to the other day the song uh, Twenty Nine Palms, um, and the I'm in the mood for a melody when he was doing his solo stuff. Like when was Led yeah. Zeppelin officially over? It was in the it was like 1981, two. Okay, it was 80. Okay. No, it was 80, I think, because Bonzo died in 79. So they, they the last album they put out with him, with John Bonham, was uh, in through the back door, I think. Okay, and uh, or is it is it no? It's in through the outdoor. What am I saying? Anyway, um, that that was the last one in. Uh, that's all i remember was um oh gosh i can't remember the name of the single anyhow um but they put that album out they were touring for a while and then went once john bonham died uh they toured i know it might have been in the mid 80s i think they may have toured some with jason bonham as the drummer okay they they did that John Bonham's son, but then uh, then they uh, then they they got done with that, and then I don't think John Paul Jones wanted to tour anymore, and so uh, Jimmy Page did a thing with David Coverdale, and then Robert Paul. Oh yeah, Robert, Covered, Coverdale and Page. Yeah, Coverdale Page, and uh, then uh, Robert Plant did some solo stuff. And that's where you remember him from is doing some of that stuff too. So it was all good, but it was, uh, it was pretty much, um, I don't know. Uh, it was pretty much done, done in their early eighties, but they did play some later, like I say, with Jason Bonham. And then of course, Jason had, had, uh, his own band and stuff. And they've, they've talked about doing one more tour forever. They've played a couple shows in London for charity, I think, like uh, I think maybe a little less than a decade ago. But that's about yeah, there the was last. Some, there were some talks of them doing a reunion because um, uh, I remember, well, you know, and I, I think you you remember from when, when I was up there working with the Toledo Sports Network. But um, I'm a huge Alter Bridge guy and. Miles Kennedy is is like my favorite singer ever, and uh, when I got a chance to um, to speak with him on the phone, he was incredibly nice and cordial. Uh, and and hopefully that doesn't seem like me name dropping or anything because I'm not. not it was just like it was cool. It was cool to get a chance to speak to like uh, somebody that I really look up to as a mus- You know, you know, not me as a musician, but just his musical ability. But anyway, he was one of the guys that uh, uh, there was swirls about him singing with them and stuff and i think he did jam with them a little bit but whatever they ended up not doing like a big reunion thing like they had talked about but he was one of the people that they were jamming with yeah and and it's too bad because i think there's a there's a lot of people that'd love to see that right now well and look at look at guns and roses coming back you know with axel i mean they were playing they were playing arenas uh um, you look at Motley Crue now, you know, it, it, you know, before COVID obviously coming back. So yeah, there's still an appetite for that for, from, from that generation, because those, those bands, you know, uh, you know, are still, they still have that staying power. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I miss, you know, they do. And that's because people, they remember, you know, the, those times, those days with fondness. So they remember, you know, they remember what they were doing, you know? I mean, even even though, you know, it wasn't my favorite song, 
most people can remember when they heard Sister Christian from Night Ranger making out with their girlfriend, you know, in the back seat yeah. of a car or something. <laughs> you know, they remember. They, so that song has fond memories for them. Uh, even Guns N' Roses, Welcome to the Jungle. You know, people remember that kind of stuff. I remember them playing at the Speedway, Toledo Speedway. And I lived, you know, probably about three, four miles down away. And I could, you know, there that's an outdoor setup. And you could still hear them playing. You know, you yeah. didn't even have to be at the show. And you could still hear them playing. And uh, That I was just, definitely a game-changing uh, record, Appetite for Destruction, for sure. Yeah, no question about it. So, you know, I just, you know, that's why I said all these shows, um, you know, I just remember with such fondness whether, you know, I mean, we talk about the different bands, the clubs, you know, yeah. And then the little tiny bars, the little, you know, the these bands couldn't draw flies, but because of their either past their heyday or they weren't big enough yet. But amongst those of us, quote unquote, in the know that we would go see them anyway, you know, whether it was, I mean. You could see bands back then. I mean, obviously Saxon, Angel Witch. That was another band that was popular in England. Nobody knew about them here in the States. And yet they were influencing bands like Metallica. Uh, they influenced other bands later on. I think, um, I want to, oh gosh, I think Five for Fighting or something like that. I can't remember. Anyway, but, uh, you know, there were some great bands back then. Uh, Tigers of the Pantang, very commercial metal band. But they produced the one thing they produced in, in out of England was John Sykes, who went on to form or first of all join Thin Lizzy, and then when they they broke up, he went on to join Whitesnake and wrote the nineteen eighty seven album with David Coverdale, and then after they parted ways, he went on to form Blue Murder, uh, and stuff. So uh, you know, just stuff like that, uh, you know, and then Nuclear Cowboy. I almost forgot, but. Um, you know, I mean, there's so much stuff that we listened to back then that people, they don't identify, to be honest, there are people that, I mean, that grow as they get older, they gravitate towards things like country music or what they call country music now. I just call it pop. Anyway, um, you've got <laughs> that and you've got, uh, you know, hip hop and, and rap and things like that. You know, folks that gravitate to that stuff because that's what's popular now. Well, there's a lot of people that got older like me and you that, you know, that all that music's fine. It has its place. People enjoy it. Good for them. But I love the stuff that I grew up listening to. I loved, you know, headbanging to, you know, whether it was, you know, um, Sirithungal or, uh, you know, bands like that. Uh, you know, you, you listen to all these crazy things, whether it was Saxon, you know, denim and leather, you know, you, you, you'd go nuts over that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, or like me, you know, we talked about girl rockers. Obviously, you know, I mentioned the, the, the Runaways and, and Girl School. There was also another band named Rock Goddess, and they were sisters. And uh, they went on to, a couple of them went on to play in the band called Vixen, which is another girl band that was a hair band that made it with a couple of songs back in the 80s. Stuff like that. But, uh didn't last long, but still good stuff. But the music is what was where it comes down to is the fact that that people remember this stuff and they hold on to it. And as this gen, especially whether it's the the uh, the the generation that is now uh, the baby boomers or the folks that came right after them, those folks hang on to that music. So even the 
even the guys that uh, the uh, guys that were in the '90s that grew up in the '90s that grew up with seeing bands like you know Nirvana, Pearl Jam. I saw Pearl Jam headline or not headline, but I saw Pearl Jam and uh, what's the uh, oh what, what's the festival they used to always have? Um, they started back then. They had it was like they had like band different types of bands and they'd have like the Jim Rose Circus. Um, Lollapalooza. Lollapalooza. That's it. I saw the first Lollapalooza tour. I think it was. It was the first or second, but I think it was the first because it had like Red Hot Chili Peppers headlining, and in like Chicago. The, I saw him in Detroit. Um, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, because they, back then in the '90s they went on tour with it. It wasn't an annual event played in Chicago. It was. Uh, they went around city to city. They'd play all the big places. Like I saw them in. Detroit at uh, what is used to be known as Pine Knob and now is known as DET or DTE oh, DT Energy Theater. Yep. yep. Yeah, it's now it used to be known as Pine Knob, and they Pearl. So you was, got to see Pearl Jam on the Ten Cycle when they were coming up. Yep, they were they were like the second band out there. I think Ministry was on there. Uh, uh, Nine Inch Nails um, was on that bill. Um, I'm trying to think of who else. Oh, there was a rapper, and I can't remember his name. And he's a famous one. I, not not Ice Cube. Um, it might have been Ice. No, it wasn't Snoop. Uh, I I can't. It might have been Ice Cube. I think. Um, and then, like I said, uh, several other bands like that. Whether it was, I know, uh, but Red Hot uh, headlined and stuff. And I remember that because they lit their uh, for the when they came out for their encore. Uh, and I think it was for, uh, I don't know, what, suck my kiss, or something like that. They um, they had they were wearing or no, it was it, that was the single at the time, along with uh, their other uh, ballad, um, and oh my brain's cramping out on me here. But anyway, when they came out for their their encore, they all were wearing helmets and they set the helmets on fire. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that very well. But uh, yeah, I was fortunate to get to see um, to see Pearl Jam um, uh, in Detroit at Joe Louis Arena. And so long story short, this was when I was still living in Toledo. And in fact, it was about uh, about a year before I moved to Nashville is October of 2014. So it's crazy. It's almost six years ago. Obviously, you're a big hockey guy, and that's what's crazy. That's where I'm conscious that I'm getting older now, too, is that, like, arenas that I grew up, you know, Joe Lewis, the Palace, they're wiped out now. It's nuts. But anyway, um, Pearl Jam was coming to Joe Lewis Arena, and that was on the – I think that was on the Lightning Bolt. Yeah, it was because Lightning Bolt came out in uh, 2013. So that was on that cycle. And I had been writing for Toledo Free Press again – and uh, so I decided to take a shot, you know, the young pup I was. And I was like, I know Pearl Jam doesn't do interviews, but I don't know. Who knows? Maybe they'll want to do an interview with me because I'm just like this dude from Toledo. <laughs> yeah, what, yeah, of so, course. So, yeah, I, I reached out to uh, their media contact and she was like, hey, they don't do interviews. You know, you're they're You know, they're not really probably not going to do an interview. But if if you're interested, um, you know, I can give you like tickets to the show and and you can do like a you know like like a concert review so initially because i'm dumb 
I kind of like sat on that for like a day or two. And then I was like, cause I was like, man, that'd be awesome if I could talk to, to, I, you know, I love all those dudes in the band. You know what I mean? Um, I'd be like, man, it'd be cool to get anybody. Like, I, I don't care if it's Eddie. Like, I love all those dudes. They're all amazing musicians. I think, I think Stone and Mike McCready are one of the most underrated guitar duos of all time. You know, mm -hmm. I think I, I should say, I think people obviously appreciate Pearl Jam, but in terms of guitar players, uh, not that those guys aren't respected, but when I think of guitar duos, I mean, I, you know, Mike McCready and Stone Gossard to me are are in the pantheon. I mean, just in terms of songwriting riffs. But anyway, I digress. So so I eventually I came to my senses. I'm like, Mike, if you don't take the opportunity to like go there because I had never done a concert review before, you know, and I'm like, who am I to review a show? You know what I mean? I can barely play four chords. Right. But I thought this is an experience you can't pass up. So. My mom, one of the bands that she got into was, you know, from like my era, I guess you could say me being an 80s baby, but really a 90s kid because um, I was born at the end of the decade of the 80s. Like that was one of the bands from like, I guess you could say my era that my mom got into. And my dad, to a degree, he got into like Alice in Chains. He had the Unplugged album. Mm -hmm. I think he had Jar of Flies. He had Dishwalla and um, Collective Soul. So he, he got a little bit into some of the 90s rock. Um, but anyway, so uh, I remember at the time I was living at the opposite end of Stearns Avenue. And this is a little inside baseball again from people who aren't from from the area that we're from. But, you know, I-75 is at the other end of Stearns. I was closer towards uh, uh, 24. So yep. my mom and my stepdad live heading towards I-75. So I said, hey, mom, I was like, you know. I'm going to go to Will Call and pick up these tickets to do this concert review story. I'm like, do you want to like go up there with me? And she's like, oh, I've kind of had a long day at work. You know, what if when you go up there, like, what am I going to do if I can't get in? And I'm like, yeah, you're right. Joe Lewis is kind of on the edge of Detroit. It's not really the greatest area. You know what I mean? I don't want you just hanging out in the car or outside the arena, you know? So, uh, well, this is where my naivete kicks in, but also where it shows how cool Pearl Jam is, Mick. So I get up there to Will Call, and, and remember, I'm I'm writing for Toledo Free Press. I'm not, you know, with Rolling Stone or Spin or some big media outlet or even, <laughs> even a bigger paper like the Detroit Free Press, right? Yep. I get up there. I go to Will Call. They give me my envelope, and as I'm going up the steps, I, I open up the envelope, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's two tickets in here. So I call my mom, and I'm like, Mom, you're not going to believe it. And she's like, shut up. Just shut up. I'm. I, she's. I was like, Mom. They gave me two tickets. Mick. They gave me two tickets. They. They weren't in the round. They were. At, they were on one end of the. Uh, the arena. Mm -hmm. But I was probably the equivalent of if the Red Wings were playing. I was probably like blue line, where the stage would be at that end of the ice. Oh my and gosh. And I was probably like maybe maybe fifteen twenty rows up for the floor. So I was only probably like forty yards from the stage, really. Um, it was unbelievable. They played for over three hours. They opened with release, which reminds me of my grandpa. It's one of my favorite songs of all time. Then they went right into oceans, which is kind of a kind of a PJ deep cut, I guess you could say. Um, but uh, oh man, what what a show! One of one of my favorite concerts I ever been to. So anyway, I digress. But when you mentioned Pearl Jam, one of my favorite bands, and uh, I, I I like telling that story because. Um, I, I was really unexpected. I was like, you know, now granted, some people might think, well, of course they're going to give you a plus one, but I'm like, well, this is Pearl Jam and it's Detroit. It's a sellout. Like, I'm not just going to assume that their, their media person is going to give me, you know, a plus one for, for a smaller paper and a midsize 
town like Toledo, you know, but they did. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah, now, who was the, what would you say was, you know, you asked me about, or we talked about earlier about like uh, odd matchup of bands. Uh, yeah. You know, with, uh, with 38 Special and Iron Maiden Rainbow. Who was the, what was the most unusual group of bands in a show that you saw? Oh, unusual group of bands in a show that well, I in saw. Other words, like, in other words, yeah, you know, 38 Special, you don't, no one considers them a metal band. But yet yeah. Iron Maiden was on that bill. Um, yeah. How, how, that, that's just sort of kind of opposite ends of the spectrum there. What show did you ever go to where you saw that was, you had a couple bands in there where you're going, those guys are together on the same bill? That's a good question. Um, most of the shows that I've been to uh, where everything has kind of been in the same vein um of music so I, I i haven't been on any like super unusual bills where i was like wow that band is really kind of not fitting the mold here um i will tell you a show a show that i went to um ironically because you've mentioned both bands where you know, it was a band that at the time, uh, you know, they were getting some radio play on satellite radio uh, mm -hmm. with with a single from their first record. But it was a band that was still on the come up. So I guess I guess the lineup is unusual from this standpoint, just because there hasn't been a show or a festival I've been to. Because at the time, like 10 years ago, for example, they, there used to be the Rockstar Energy Drink Mayhem Festival. Uh, so like 10 years ago almost exactly it was like june or july me and my good buddies dave and chad who are also into heavy music we went up there and we saw the main stage was um rob zombie corn five finger death punch and lamb of god um so i i would say unusual from just the standpoint that people didn't really know them yet and, and now they're like huge was in 2008 on the indestructible cycle Disturbed was doing club shows to warm up for what at that time was the very first Mayhem Festival in 2008. It was like Disturbed, Slipknot, uh, Mastodon, um, but Slipknot and Disturbed were like the two-headed monster of that first iteration of Mayhem Fest, which I believe was 08. So they were doing like club shows to warm up for that album cycle before the arenas and the festivals. Well, uh, there was a band from from Canada called Art of Dying that opened up, and they were good. They're just like you know hard rock. Uh, met their lead singer uh, Johnny after the show, nice guy, and they're they're still around, still pumping out albums. The band that played in the middle was Five Finger Death Punch. Wow! Um, and I saw them open for Disturbed. At a place called uh, Bogarts in Cincinnati. We drove yep. down there. It was super rainy. It was this old German theater that um, that Live Nation had purchased. And it was just this giant wooden floor. I remember the bathrooms were downstairs. There was like a little bit of like, I don't I want to say standing water, like, like we were ankle deep in it. But the floor was like wet. Mm -hmm. It had rained down there. It was... It was probably 95 degrees in there. And that show, Mick, was the birth of me, like, not being in the quote-unquote pit anymore. And if I was at a show where there were no seats and I had to be on the floor, I always tried to find the wall from that point on because 
<laughs> I got roughed up a little bit. And, uh, and, uh, but yeah, five finger death punch open for disturbed. And you could just tell, um, Ivan Moody, like his stage presence and the way he commanded the crowd and how tight they sounded. Um, you know, at that time, you know, the, the, the two members that are still in the band today from, from that lineup are, uh, Zoltan Bathory, one of the guitarists and, uh, Ivan Moody, but they had a different bassist, a different guitarist, and and Jeremy Spencer was the drummer. He just left the band, I think, like within the last two years. Um, but anyway, they they were unbelievably loud. My ears rang for a couple of days, and then Disturbed was great. But so so yeah, that show I would say was unusual just from the standpoint of I saw I saw them at a time where not a lot of people really knew who they were. Um, the bleeding had been getting play on on the radio. Um, and then I remember after the show, and as a matter of fact, ironically, I was wearing my Injustice for All t-shirt at that show. And after the show, Ivan was hanging out in the back because like the bar and everything was in the back. Sure. And she, my, my buddy Chad and I went up to him and we were talking to him and and he has like kind of this deeper voice. And he's like, dude, that's a freaking awesome t-shirt. Uh, I'm keeping it PG. But he's like, that's one of my favorite, favorite albums. I love that. That's awesome. And I was like, yeah, dude. I was like, Injustice for All is like my favorite Metallica album. I was like, you guys are great. You killed it. We took a picture whatever. And he said something else to me. And Mick, I was standing right next to him, but it was so loud that night. And that was also the birth of like earplugs for me. I didn't even hear what he said. It was just like, eee. wow. And so I just said something to him like, yeah, man. I was just like, yeah, I just said something like, yeah. And he kind of gave me that look like, I don't know if this dude's like a little twisted. Like, did he, was he drinking a little bit? Was he smoking? Which I wasn't. But uh, it was literally like that loud um, that even after the show talking to him, I still missed like something that he said. <laughs> so, oh so yeah, unfortunately, there's not really like any shows that I went to. Like all the shows that I went to were pretty much like if it was a metal show, it was straight up metal. Like when I saw Metallica, Joe Lewis, it was Metallica, Machine Head and the Sword. And that was also one of the best shows that I've ever seen on the Death Magnetic Tour in 2009. And so me and my buddy Nate, my buddy Dave went to that one. That was one of the best shows I've seen. But yeah, I wouldn't say anything unusual like, oh boy, this band seems really out of place. It was just more of like, you know, getting a chance to see a show like that and to see to see Disturbed and Death Punch in like a a place that probably couldn't fit more than a couple thousand people was pretty insane. I, I got to tell you, the one show I saw that it probably couldn't even fit uh, 500 people, but I th I can't remember the, the nightclub it was at. It was a small place in Detroit and it was two bands. Uh, maybe it was a little bigger than I thought. I think maybe maybe close to a thousand I'll put it at that close to a thousand but not not more than a thousand um was I saw in the 90s living color with collective soul oh wow and living color had already put out I think they were on the stain tour okay and, and uh but uh because when they're when Vivid came out, they got the luxury of opening up for the Rolling Stones, so they were playing in front of monster crowds every night. Well, Stain came out to less than flattering. Uh, it was their third release, and it, they came out to less than flattering reviews and stuff. But they toured anyway, and they were playing smaller venues. And Collective Soul hadn't quite they hadn't hit the big time yet, but. Uh, but they they were still touring. They were, I mean, 
it was just very different seeing seeing a show like that. But it was a great show, and that leads me to my next question for you: What outside of the metal or hard rock genre, what is the show that if people knew you actually saw and liked, they'd shake their head at you? That wasn't it. Wasn't heavy metal. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't. Uh, you know, hard rock like in the Aerosmith or Kiss vein, but it yeah. was something maybe maybe slightly different. What uh, and uh, we'll take we'll take punk and we'll take uh, grunge out of out of the out of it too. Just okay. something that's a departure from what okay. you normally would listen to. What what well, what, what I, show was that? Great question. When I moved to Nashville, I like how you you've turned the tables here too. A little <laughs> a little sly Mick, but uh, no, it's cool. I love it. Um, there's there's two shows for me. Um, when I moved to Nashville, it was the. I think it, it was it was the second year I had been down here. It was 2017, and uh, there was a tribute show for Randy Travis at Bridgestone. And okay. my buddy Paul, Paul Norton from Rome, Georgia. I'm not even kidding you. That's how he talked about it. Oh, buddy, let me tell you. He sounded like, uh, what's his, uh, you know, is it Foghorn, Leghorn from the Looney Tunes? Oh, I, I, I resent that remark. Like, he has, like, a really thick country accent, super nice guy. I got to catch up with him. He moved to Florida a few years back, but uh, anyway, great guy. So we couldn't have been uh, more different. But he was he was one of the people that um, that when I came down here, we became buddies. Uh, when I started working at uh, at uh, my old job, um, you know, we our cubicles were like next to each other uh, within the same vicinity, and uh, we're within the same age. But anyway. And then a, a, another uh, former coworker, Terry, her husband Lance is a great guitar player, and he actually played in Randy Travis's band. So they okay. were telling me about the show, and obviously I couldn't be more non-country, just being a metalhead and being into you know '90s grunge and you know all of that hard rock. I mean, that's you know mm -hmm. it couldn't be further from from my from from my wheelhouse. But I I love music, so I was like, for sure I'm gonna go. And Lance, uh, Terry's husband, was going to be playing. Um, and I think at that point I had seen him play at this little place up here. At the time it was called Barefoot Charlie's and uh, just a great guitar player. And I obviously love guitar. So at this Randy Travis tribute show, it was basically all the who's who's of country music. I mean, everything from uh, Winona Judd, which I know you know the Judds because your lady's a big Kentucky gal. Oh, yeah. Um, she was there. Travis Tritt. Um, I think, wow. um, um, uh, Kenny Rogers, I believe was there, um, which he just, he passed away recently, tragically too. Yep. Uh, but Kenny Rogers, I believe was there. Uh, and then Garth Brooks came out at the very end to sing, uh, I think, uh, what is it? Forever and amen. I don't know how much yeah. country, you know, but, Forever uh, and ever, amen. Yep. Forever I and ever. Amen. Yep. And, uh, the funny part about the show was like literally every time somebody would go on and, I, and my dad and my stepmom Deb went too because at the time my dad was doing some consulting work down here so they were there and it was funny Mick because every song Paul like I said who's you know couldn't be more country I love that dude he would lean over and be like oh Mike you know who that is and I'm like Paul I have like no idea who any of these people are man but I'm but but I'll tell you there's so much great musicianship and country music you know, guys playing the steel pedal and the the guitar playing and just 
uh, so many great voices. So that was a, that was an incredible show. And then the other one, which I feel really blessed to have seen me and one of my best friends, Nate, um, for his birthday. Um, and I think, and I think, uh, his girlfriend at the time also tried to get us tickets to, uh, or get him tickets. I don't know if I, if I would have been able to go to, I, I would have hoped that I would have been invited cause it would have been awesome. But, um, Soundgarden did like a tour for the first time in a long time in like 2012, I want to say, um, after being on a hiatus, obviously Chris Cornell had done his thing and then there was audio slave and everything, but that was the first time like Soundgarden was back and that tour sold out like immediately. But an- so we wanted to do that, but unfortunately it sold out. But another one, uh, that Nate really wanted to do. And I'm happy that he asked me to get a chance to go too. And I did go, but at the Stranahan in Toledo, uh, she got us front row tickets. I don't know how she did it, but she got us front row tickets. Literally my, my knees were almost touching the stage. I wish I would have saved that, that picture from my phone. But um, we got to see um, uh, uh, B.B. King. Oh, that was, yeah. That was incredible. I was literally front row seats to see B.B. Uh, B. B. King. I um, think I was at that show. You went? Yeah, I think I was at that show. I didn't have front row seats, but I think if I remember, I, I might have been at that show. Because I it saw was... him, and then not too long after that, I saw Bo Diddley. Okay. He played UT, and oh my God, still a, a thrill of a lifetime for me. I yeah, it was 2013, I want to say, was that show with B.B. King. And we were like on the kind of right side of the stage, but in the front row. Um, and that was incredible because I'm like, this guy was like one of the foundations for music. I mean, to me, he's yep. probably on the route, Mount Rushmore of uh, of music. Um Sorry, it took me a second too to pull that out of the archives because I'm thinking about music and I know oh, our yeah. minds are going all different directions. But no, but yeah, BB King was incredible because it was literally like watching somebody doing something they were born to do. That's the only way I can explain it. And I remember just watching his hands on the guitar, um, and he his thumb. You know, it was it like I just remember it. It just his hands almost made like the the neck of the guitar look small because when he would do his chords and you see guys like John Mayer do it a lot. Uh, I think uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan used to do it a lot, but he, he had his thumb like over, over like the, the top E string, you know what I mean? And would just, it was, it was just cool. And obviously he was older at that point. Um, you know, and I'm, you know, you're not in, you know, anybody when they're in their, you know, 70s, 80s isn't going to be what they were when they were, you know, 30, 40 or whatever. But that was an incredible show just to see an icon of music. Um, my stepdad's a big Stevie Ray Vaughan fan. Uh, my dad has also been into blues, different types of blues stuff over the years. You know, obviously Clapton and all that stuff. Um you wouldn't have any of those guys if it weren't for B.B. King. You know what I mean? So and even a lot of metal, yep. you know, Zach Wilde has even said, you know, a lot of metal stuff is a lot of blues scales just sped up, you know, um, and there's heavy blues influence in his soloing and stuff. So, yeah, B.B. King and that Randy Travis tribute show were, were two shows that were outside of my wheelhouse, but were amazing. I'd have to say probably for me, uh, I saw Foreigner with the Michael Stanley band. And that was back in 82, 81, 82. 
And uh, I think uh, Waiting for a Girl Like You was a big hit for Foreigner at the time. And Urgent. So all of that stuff was Urgent. Urgent. Emergency. Yep, yep. But I tell you what. Michael Stanley, though. Michael Stanley blew them off the stage that night. Absolutely blew, tore it up. And uh, he, they, uh, I, I, I can't, I'm trying to think. Um, he Can't Love You Like I Love You is that was their biggest hit. And then um, In the Heartland from North Coast. They were on the North Coast tour for that. And probably, uh, actually, Bo Diddley. And it wasn't back around the same time as you went to see B.B. King. This was back in the, I'd say, the early 2000s. Okay. That, uh, that I saw, and he was at University of Toledo, and I'll never forget. He's up there playing, and he broke a string, and uh, he broke a string, and he stood there. And he goes, "Just hang on for a minute," and stood there and rewired this. He didn't like put in another string or grab another guitar. He just stood there, took the string that he broke, that broke, and pulled it back up and re redid it, and just stood there. And so people are going. Hey, Sheriff Elijah McDaniel. And he's like, who told you my real name? And stuff like that. <laughs> it was just, it was a hoot, man. That guy put on a great show. And then, um, oh gosh, uh, probably the, the other weird show. Man, I've seen so many, but it's probably the other weird show that I've seen uh, was Genesis. And it was the opening night of their Abacab tour. That was back in like 85, maybe 86. So was that, uh, was that Peter Gabriel or Phil Collins at that point? I, Oh, that's a good question. I can't remember. I think, I think that was Phil Collins because, uh, Phil or, uh, what's his name? Peter Gabriel had left and, uh, he had just hit it big on MTV and everything with the singles and everything with sledgehammer and uh shock the monkey and things like that. Yeah. So, I think red rain's my favorite from him. It's a beautiful song. Yeah. Not, not bad at all. You, 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 you pick well. Um, I liked, uh, that was the, I mean, it was weird because, you know, most people, when they think of Phil Collins now, they only think of him as a solo artist almost exclusively. And, everything and and i i remember seeing him in genesis and it was and you know i I got the tickets for nothing so and it was the opening night of the tour and so i said yeah i'll go and so i went and i actually had a good time i really did i had a really wonderful time and uh saw that show i mean uh gosh i'm trying to think of i mean like i said i mean punk was never in my wheelhouse but uh I, i i had fun at the shows uh, my buddy Steve got into the punk scene big uh, right after high school uh, and stuff. After we did all those metal shows, he would still go to metal shows, but he also got really into the punk scene. And I would, I was the guy with the car, so I used to drive. And so I got to see, you know, like the Black Flags, the Misfits and Dead Kennedys, et cetera, et cetera. Did you um, ever get to see uh, Bad Brains? Uh, yes. Yes, I did. Up at the Greystone Theater in Dearborn. Or Dearburn is the locals say. Uh, I also, gosh, I'm trying. Probably the band that I really had the most fun. Of course, the local band from Toledo that was big in the punk scene nationally and internationally was the Necros. Yeah, yeah. And 
I knew them. I knew the guys in the band. They were friends of mine back then and stuff. They were friends with Steve first, but then we became friends. I became friends with them, you know, because I remember Andy, big Andy, man, guitar player who should have been a, a, a lineman in the NFL. He was that big. And then, of course, <laughs> Barry Hensler, the singer, who was like about half the size of, of Andy. He was probably only like about 5'2", but he was also a big boy, too. And so I saw them a number of times play and, and, you know, we became friends. And then I, for a short time, I moved to Texas. I, I, I stayed in Dallas for just a real short time. And I remember reading in one of those uh, alternative weekly papers that tells about who's playing where and stuff. I see an ad in there for big boys and I knew who big boys were. And I'm thinking, wow, they're, that's pretty cool. And then I saw the opening act was the Necros. So I'm like, oh, my God, I have to go. So sure enough, it was a Sunday night, and I go at like 10 o'clock at night, and I go and see big boys who put on an incredible show. They had people dancing and jumping all over the place. And then, of course, the Necros tore it up, too. But they were really surprised to see me when I was down there. They're like, what are you doing here? You know, stuff like that. And we, I mean, it was just awesome. All that I remember about that too was uh, in the midst of all of that insanity, I'm up along the wall in this bar that they're playing at and they whip, somebody whips a beer can. And I mean, that thing, literally it brushed my hair and hit the oh wall my and gosh. exploded. It was a, it was a, I think it was a bottle of beer because it, it, it whisked it just like I say, brushed my hair, hit the wall and exploded but it didn't hit me directly. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. So, and, and I did, I, you know, I had a couple pops in me, so I didn't even care at the time. I'm like <laughs> laughing and just dancing around, jumping on and off stage. We were just having a ball. And that was probably one of the best shows I ever been to. And, uh, I, I, I you know, things like that. Um, I've, I saw the Toledo symphony orchestra, uh, do a show with uh, a Queen cover band. And that's another band I wish I could have gotten to see live, but didn't, was Queen. I was going to ask you if you ever got to see Queen. Nope, never got to see them. But man, oh man, I wish I would have. I watch all their videos of their concerts and stuff, but no, I never got to see them live. That's the, Did my they only... ever come to Toledo? Yes, when I was in fifth grade in grade school. And my parents wouldn't have let me out of the house, no way, no how. So they were, it was Queen and Santana on the bill. I remember that. Oh, wow. What a show. Yep. And uh, I would have given anything to go to that show. But That sounds no like me when I was in fifth grade, uh, even though they're two completely different wheelhouses. But when I was in fifth grade, uh, one, of, one of the bands that got me into uh, to, to hard rock and stuff, like my parents got divorced. And uh, I remember... Um, being in the car and my own prison from Creed came on and I was like, Ooh, what's this? You know? Um, and that started kind of me being, being into them. And then, um, you know, I've, I've followed, uh, Tremonti and, and Brian Marshall and Scott Phillips ever since with Alter Bridge. But, but anyway, when I was in fifth grade, obviously Queen and Santana are vastly different from Creed and Seven Dust and Kid Rock, but when I was in fifth grade, Creed and Seven Dust and Kid Rock were at the sports arena, and I wanted to go. And my mom uh, mentioned something about marijuana and how she didn't think that I, I was fit to go to that show. 
and uh, I think that was 2000. I'm like, ah, I, I just want to see the music, mom. I don't think he, I don't think she was worried about me doing anything. I just think she didn't want me being exposed to that at a young age. But, but anyway, so I feel your fifth grade pain. My first yeah. concert wasn't until I was, uh, wasn't until I was actually 18. I was out of high school at that point with my first show. And it was my buddy, Andy, who I mentioned earlier was his band at the time, his metal band inner sanctum that he was in, mm-hmm. um, at a place called, I think it was, uh, was it, it's vamps, which I don't even know. I don't think it's there anymore over no. off of Phillips by Mancy steakhouse. I think it was called vamps. Oh Yeah. It's, uh, it was, was it the Longhorn Saloon? Um, it was this, I remember it was this weird venue where like you went upstairs, like they were playing like upstairs oh, or no, this in this little it. stage, but yeah, it was over, over by Phillips in Toledo by Mancy's Steakhouse. But yeah, that was actually my first show. And then we ended up going to Cleveland, me and my buddy Dave, because they played, um, they were on the same bill as this band, uh, Critical Bill out of Detroit which was kind of like a rock or a rock and a hit hard rock and hip hop mashup and then um, drowning pool. So it was kind of cool to see them get on the bill with, uh, with those guys. That was cool. I think that, you know, I think I may be wrong on my, um, I think I know it was Santana toured when I was in fifth grade, but I think that was a separate show. I think queen toured that year with, at fit, when I was in fifth grade with thin Lizzy. I think that was, okay. the, that was the show. But uh, both bands came to Toledo that year in 75. I remember that. But I think it was, I think Thin Lizzy opened for Queen, not Santana. Santana so was headlining. Who's uh, who's still on your bucket list? Um, that I would like to see? That you would like to see. Yeah, who, who haven't you seen that's still around that you would like to see? Well, let's see. Or it might not even be somebody from your era, even if it's somebody that's newer. Like who, you know, it could be that too. There's really nobody that I would, I mean, I've seen him a couple of times, but I would still love to see him again. And that's Eric Johnson. That guy, okay. could put a, he's a great guitar player. You know, I mean, he's not metal, but he is, he is like a musician. He's a guard. Like, let's put it this way. He's a guitar player's guitar player. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he's not, you, I mean, you don't think, I mean, he's not like Chuck Stoll, but he is so, he writes such great in-depth songs. The music he writes is so in-depth, and it's a thinking man's uh, song writing. And so I would love to see him again. Of bands that have I haven't seen, I think simply because I've never seen them, not because I you know, was a big fan or anything, because I wasn't, and I prided myself on it, the Rolling Stones. They're going to do one more tour here, and they're all like pushing 80. And I am not, like I said, I was never a fan, never, never have been, prided myself on it. But just the fact that I've never seen them, uh, I would like to see them maybe once. Uh, and that's just, that's like, if I don't, I, you know, it's like no big deal, no big loss to me. But I, but that I would like to see them. Um, as far as, I'm trying to think of what other bands I would like to see. Um Gosh, that's that's a good question. Um, I would like to see probably. Oh my, um, I'd like to. I wouldn't mind see seeing GNR with uh, what's his name back back in the fold, you know, with both Slash and uh, Axel in the fold. 
Um, yeah. I mean, I, I got to tell you a little short story real quick. Um, back in 1998, the Toledo Cherokee won the national championship. So everyone, I didn't, I didn't stay with them at the hotel. My buddy, Billy, who a lot of my music uh, 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 trip, road trips and stuff, they involved him and Steve both. We went to a lot of concerts together. Bill lives out in, in California now. And he had a, a, a music, a little music fanzine going, easing that was real popular with musicians out there back in the day, back especially in the 90s. And anyway, it was called Rockers and Rollers, I think, or something like that. And uh, I, anyhow, he interviewed a lot, I mean, a ton of musicians that you would know. And he also helped introduce me to some music that I didn't know, like back in the 90s, uh, you know, band, I mean, I got into King's X on my own, but I yeah. found out he was a big King's X fan. And it was like that. Now, there, there's the band probably that I haven't seen, but would give anything to see. And that is King's X. Okay. Probably the band I want to see the most. But anyway, he, he got me into bands like I Love You, uh, stuff like that. And uh, I'm trying to think of who else I would love to see. Of course, you can't see him anymore because Pat Denisio is dead. But the Smithereens... I got to see them once, and they put on a whale of a show and uh, stuff like that. That would be another band I wish I could see, but I can't. Um, but uh, anyhow, so, you know, he and I were, they win the national championship, the Cherokee do. And so, we're so you know, after we sign off and everything, because we broadcast it back to uh, uh, the radio station here in Toledo, the ticket. And so we are talking about or we're talking about what we're going to do well he knows where there's a bar we can go to now mind you they had just put in the no smoking uh law in california in in uh in public places and in bars and everything couldn't smoke well, he goes i know a place i go okay <laughs> anything of it walk in there place is full of smoke it's a tiny little bar like uh, like about the size of the longhorn saloon for those of you here inside baseball again but uh, here in toledo but it's just a real tiny little place that probably fit maybe 100 people tops. Well, we go in there, and there's a, like an all-star jam going on. And so there was a blues player that we really liked. His name was, uh, he went by the moniker, his onstage moniker was B.B. Chung King because he played blues, an awesome job of it, great songwriter, uh, no longer with us, but still younger dude. And he was, he was Chinese. And so uh, he was just awesome. Anyway, he was playing guitar there that night. And a keyboard player who I had never heard of or anything like that. But the bass player was from uh, Amy Grant's band. Uh, the, uh, the other guitar player was from Ziggy Marley. And, okay. the, and then the drummer was Matt Sorum from GNR. And so we're watching them jam up there and we're sitting there. We stay there till about like three or four in the morning. And it was like, oh my gosh, you know, that was like the funniest thing. Sitting there talking crap with, uh, with, with Matt Sorum and everything. And just kind of asking him what's going on and telling me how, you know, messed up Axel would get and stupid and, you know, he would kind of go and stuff. But I mean, it was just fun to watch stuff like that. And, you know, got, you know, it's like 
Have I seen GNR? No. But I feel like seeing Matt Sorum play, uh, things like that, it's kind of fun, you know? And I would like to see them at least once, just to see what they're like. But, uh, yeah, just, you know, it's music's what makes the world go round, buddy. You know? Yeah, man. Well, Mick, I, I can't thank you enough for taking some time. Uh, before we wrap it up, thanks again. Um, just, just uh, how you doing? How you doing health wise? Um, oh. and and also tell the people about uh, about your podcast real quick too, the Cherokee Rewind. Okay, Cherokee Rewind, real fast is uh, it's just a trip down memory lane where I feature alumni, whether they be coaches, general managers, uh, owners, players. The whole night, even uh, a game night staff, I just feature them. Just it's my way of giving back to let them, let people know what they meant to me, and the fact that what that they they mattered while they were here. They were a part of the of the team, and they really did mean something. And so I've been, uh, I've got a few under my belt. I, I'm not as polished with this stuff as you are, but I keep it very primitive and basic. But I'm not trying to be a Joe Rogan either, you know. I mean, I'm not out to be have it, you know, commercialized and, and monetized and everything else. Uh, the only eyes that I want to be, you know, is uh, excited eyes, you know, and call it a day. But uh, you know, just enjoy talking with some of the guys. Some of them have gone on to play pro hockey, so it was great to catch up with a couple of them in that in that realm. Uh, you know, so I, I also talk to other coaches and players from the league we played in and stuff like that. And I spent 20 years as the play-by-play guy there. And, and of course you, you were there with the coaches show at that place called good times yeah. for a while. I remember those, those days. That's why I said, you're going to have to come on sometime and be a, and, and be on one of my podcasts. Oh, but, I'd be um, happy to 10 but, years uh, ago. I can't believe it's almost that long ago already. It's been almost 10 years since, since, since those days. It's crazy. Yeah, it is. So anyway, but that's that's what I do with that. That's what I do with that. Now on the health front, it's a it's a it's a kind of a 50-50 proposition. The the cancer thing now I uh, got the last two PET scans I've had, uh the tumors are gone. And so, you know, that's for great. those that didn't know, I was diagnosed stage four metastatic breast cancer. So they treated me with uh, one drug. And it it worked on the cancer cells, but it also screwed up my liver and my kidneys. And so mm. now they put me, they changed drug, the medication and stuff. They changed the treatment and I responded really well to it. My kid, my liver has, um, has gone back to almost normal. It is normal. As a matter of fact, last visit I had with my oncologist. Well, the bad problem now is no longer the cancer. That's not what's, scaring them it's my kidneys because being a diabetic and uh you know and then dealing with this stuff it's 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 a it's a dicey proposition so right now my my kidneys aren't doing real well but the cancer itself is gone so you know but they're still keeping me on the treatments because because it is metastasized it means it's it's ingrained in the bone it can come back so they're still hitting me with that stuff so to make sure it stays gone to, to, to you know, that's North, North Toledo vernacular. Make sure it stays gone, man. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's where we're at right now. So, uh, you know, I mean, I got to be careful, even though I don't, because I'm supposed to be much more careful with my diet. Problem is, what do you do when you don't cook? 
I mean, the best thing I make for dinner is reservations. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but, dude, when we, when I cook, we pray after we eat. Okay. But <laughs> so, but what's a guy to do, you know? So anyhow, um, I try to do, I try to do what I can and, but that's where we're standing with that right now. So overall, I could be a whole lot worse. You know, it's it's hard because now I can't really walk long distances because of the kidneys. And so I get, you know, short of breath when I walk too far and things like that. But again, I'm an old guy now. So I got to realize that I'm not that young pup and, you know, was impervious to pain or anything else before. Now I'm starting to feel everything. And it's like, okay, but you know what? I signed up for it. So I, I got to endure. Well, I'm I'm glad I'm glad to hear that at least the, the tumors are, are pretty much gone, man. And uh, I, you know, keep praying for you to hang in there. And uh, I love you, man. It's great to catch up with you. Um, love you I, back. I think buddy. we we could we could we could talk music probably for five hours and still and still have five more hours of content. So you I can't thank you right. enough for uh, for for doing this and uh, keep in hey, touch anytime, man, with brother, everything and all this. All the stuff going on in the world, you know. Anytime you want to give me a ring, not even for a podcast, but just to just to keep in touch and stay sane, man. With the times we're in, you got it, brother. I count on it, and and I'd love to talk more music anytime you want. So always, always fun to do that. Absolutely, man. All right, buddy. I love you. I'll talk to you. Love you back. We'll talk to you soon, bud. Thanks for this. Dighty, there you have it. That was my conversation with my friend and former colleague at Toledo Sports Network, Mick Gonzalez, the one and only. Mick, thank you so much for your time, and thank you to you all for listening. Make sure you go check out Mick's radio show, The Cheap Seats, on 106.5 FM, The Ticket in Toledo. You can listen every Sunday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. I'll be sure to put up the link. And please go check out his brand new podcast, the Cherokee Rewind Podcast at CherokeeRewind.Podbean.com. That's where Mick discusses, you know, everything Toledo Cherokee with with people that he was involved with in that organization in the 20 years that he was the voice of that team. So please go check out that show. He's super passionate about it. And he's super passionate about music, in particular heavy music, as you guys just heard. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. Please forgive me for all the old school metalheads. I know I got my my angels messed up, okay? I know I messed up Morbid Angel and Death Angel. I believe upon further review and research from Google, it was actually Angel Witch in the early 80s that was one of the influences of metallica so don't at me okay don't comment on my instagram and my twitter and say hey guy listen i like your podcast and all but uh to be honest you got to shore up on some of the things you're talking about because death angel and morbid angel came after angel witch and angel witch was one of the bands that influenced the artist we know that we love known as metallica that was kind of like a Bill Swirsky super fans. I just kind of pulled it out of my hat, guys. Okay, guys, enjoy your meal, guys. Let me know if you catch that reference. You can, you can tweet me or uh, hit me up on my Instagram about that. And on that note, uh, Twitter at Mike V Bauman, Instagram at March Fourth Pod, which you can listen to on the host site at MarchFourth.Podbean.com. You can also check it out on Spotify. Apple Podcasts, the artist formerly known as iTunes, Podcast Addict, 
it's it's out there it's on the streaming apps so go check it out like and subscribe tell a friend if you enjoyed it and above all else man i just want y'all to be good to each other hopefully you enjoyed this podcast you heard about some some bands that you like uh if you're a believer i ask you for your thoughts and prayers for mick as he continues to to uh you know battle this uh this cancer stuff and uh for anybody out there who's got any health issues whether it's covid related whether it's cancer related whether it's a cancer scare whether it's major surgery or just sickness be it physical or mental uh whether you believe whether you don't believe just send out good vibes man and uh you know be there for those people if you know them personally stay in touch with them you know keep tabs on them and uh, just, you know, in general, man, you know, reach out to somebody you haven't talked to in a while, you know, especially with this with this virus, you know, uh, just just speaking from personal experience, you know, I, I live I live by myself. So, uh, you know, uh, if you're somebody like me who lives on your own or even if you're you've got roommates or a significant other family, et cetera, et cetera, just, you know, keep keep in touch with the people you love, friends, family. You know, we, we need each other right now. You know, we all need to stick together through through everything that's going on in the world, you know. And, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, the, the worst things happen before there's like a big positive change that comes. So that's what I'm holding on to is just that through all of this craziness and sadness and, you know, sickening behavior and tough times that we're in in a global pandemic that on the other side of this is just a, a light in a in a positive wave that comes that just carries us all into a, another phase of just awesomeness um you know that wasn't super highfalutin or philosophical but that is the stuff i think about man so you know even if you can't see your friends or your family personally you know by the grace of modern technology and facetime and skype and house party and all these apps you know we we get to have it be a little bit more intimate than you know back in the day when you had to send letters you know what i mean uh and you know and you know there's something still cool about sending letters but at the same time there's an immediacy via modern technology that we we just didn't obviously have back in the day in terms of keeping in touch so you know the point i'm making is you know if you are feeling a little bit lonely or you feel like there's somebody in your life who might be, you know, dealing with all of this stuff and they're isolated or you're isolated. Just just remember, man, the people you love are only a phone call away. You know what I mean? And there's only so many TV shows you can watch and stuff you do that you, you do. We still need that human connection. So stick together, be good to each other, be kind to one another. Uh, and, and I'll end it on that like I always end it. Keep the faith and be kind to one another. I'll see you guys on the next one. Peace.